When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Billy Cox, and you're listening to Pantheon Podcast. Pantheon Podcast presents Deeper Digs with host and rock and roll archaeologist Christian Swain. Music, culture, technology, and rock and roll. Now, with the show. Just like the white winged dove sings a song, sounds like she's singing ooh, ooh, ooh. Or coo, 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 if you prefer. Written by Stevie Nicks. Well, she was thinking about the murder of John Lennon and the death of her uncle. How do I know this? Uh, because of Song Facts, the website with all kinds of cool info on songs. <laughs> and you can check the lyrics about. One-winged doves. Oh, I'm sorry. I mean white-winged doves. Uh, And they also have a podcast. Guess where it's at? On the Pantheon Network. Corey Flanagan hosts a podcast where songwriters, musicians, and journalists discuss classic songs and help uh, all of us discover vital new ones. Do check out the podcast wherever you get your listens. And go uh, check out the website for all the info you need on songs. Songfacts.com. Of course, the reason I opened with the Stevie song is because our guest today is none other than uh, my favorite Zelig character in all of rock and roll. Waddy Wachtel will be joining us shortly. Uh, Real quick, business. uh, Well, first, uh, happy holidays 2020. We made it. uh, Well, minus about 350,000 of us, uh, that is. Uh, Didn't have to be like this, but... You are listening, and we are here. Uh, unlike the other earlier parts of the year, it's looking like light is finally at the end of the tunnel. A few more months, just hold on uh, until the vaccine is distributed uh, and we get through this thing. Um, I'm sure uh, we will see life beginning to turn back to some normalcy uh, as the year progresses. And uh, probably by the time we get into summer, we'll begin to feel like um, uh, we were before all this uh, shit uh, started um, almost a year ago. Of course, uh, you know, let's hope that light is not an oncoming train. (laughs) Not to be a bummer, but uh, unlike uh, most of my life as an American, we are in strange times, and uh, my crystal ball stopped working a few years ago. Uh, Like everyone else, I'm stuck on Mr. Toad's wild ride. Um, and, uh, so are you. So hopefully we can get off this thing, uh, here. So just be cool, be chill, hunker down, stay safe. Seriously, I hope you and yours are good in some way. Uh, you will all uh, be able to eke out a good time with the appropriate amount uh, of fun and safety, uh, with family and friends, you know, again, please be, be, be good and safe out there. So last week I uh, mentioned that uh, I had gotten a new microphone from our friends at AKG. Uh, Can you tell the difference? 
probably not, since we do a fair amount of EQing and mixing around here. Uh, and, you know, a microphone is just the first source of the signal. But I must say that this little guy, um, called the AKG Lyra, is a pretty nice package. Uh, All-inclusive and uh, USB straight into your machine. Love that. No external interface needed. Uh, and you can have high-quality audio doing whatever it is that you are doing. Just plug it in and go. Uh, and at a very, very reasonable cost. You know, I also got cans to go along with it, the AKG K371s. Uh, very nice, light and comfortable, uh, a real podcaster setup. Uh, or, hey, even for just good audio on Zoom calls, make yourself sound awesome for the next company meeting. Maybe it'll get you uh, that promotion uh, because uh, uh, you not only look uh, uh, like a god or goddess, but you now sound like one, too. Go um, uh, go to HarmonAudio.com for more info for or you know or your favorite gear retailer uh, as well. Now, let's do it. Let's get to the show. The guy opening that song with the 16th note guitar riff is our guest today, Mr. Wadi Wachtel. He of the immediate family today and a whole history of shining stars from the past. Yes, Wadi is our fourth guy that we've spoken to in the immediate family. I got to interview uh, all of them over the summer and am pleased to present uh, Wadi as uh, our holiday show. Uh, do look them up on Facebook. Uh, the Immediate Family, and uh, you can now hear five tracks on a recently released EP uh, wherever you get your music, so go check that out as well. So we've had drummer Russ Kunkel, bassist Lee Scalar, and guitarist Danny Korchmar join us. Um, today is Wadi, and then next month we will complete the band with guitarist Steve Postel. But today it is all Wadi Wachtel, the expensive wino Wadi, the werewolves of London Wadi, the short people Wadi, the Cheech and Chung up in smoke Wadi, the, the, I literally could do this all day. There's just way too many credits. Born in 1947 in Jackson Heights uh, area of Queens in New York City. At about nine or 10, he began to play guitar. Um, he learned to play right-handed, even though he is a natural lefty, like yours truly. Uh, Wadi studied under uh, Rudolf Schramm, uh, who was the head of the NBC Staff Orchestra and top music at Carnegie Hall. We do talk about that. His first big break came uh, when Bud Cousill of the Cousills suggested Wadi and his band at the time, twice nicely, relocate to L.A. in 1968. Um, <laughs> Perfect time to be heading west. After two years of giving it a go uh, with the band, uh, the man needed to eat. 
Luckily, the Cowsills hired him as a producer and guitarist, uh, and that uh, kind of made him a session player. In 72, he was hired by the Everly Brothers musical director to record uh, their album, Stories We Could Tell, and had it out on the subsequent tour. Oh, um, that uh, MD was Warren Zevon. In 73, he played on a new duo's record called um, Buckingham Knicks and toured with them until they joined some old English band or something like that. Uh, then it's just a blur of names, uh, both in the studio and on tour. By the, by the way, I must bring up the name Peter Asher uh, here because with all the immediate family guys, Peter's kind of a key. Um, they've all said it was Asher that suggested the guys who played on the records would be the guys to go out on tour. Brilliant, yes? In 1980, Waddy did a single album as a group called Ronin, uh, where he was a lead guitarist and lead vocalist, uh, which Peter Asher produced. Uh, yeah, it wasn't a hit, so back to the session work. Oh, uh, let's not forget Excitable Boy by Warren Zevon. Yes, Werewolves of London uh, was penned by Waddy, uh, L- uh, Leroy, Marnell, and, and Warren himself. Uh, anyway, again, I-, I can give names galore. You know, names like Seeger, Etheridge, Ronstadt, Ringo, Waits, Neville, Prine, Rate, Taylor, Dolly, but I'm just not going to do it. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com pantheon. Buyraycon.com pantheon. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Let's instead get to meet the man and hear some of the stories, shall we? So here you go. Here is Waddy Wachtel. Bought a man in the street, flipped his wings like a dove. He fell down to the ground, sliding deep. 
welcome to Deeper Digs, Wadi Wachtel. How are you doing today? Thanks, Rich. You know, I'm doing as well as can be uh, in my home. <laughs> yeah, stuck my inside poor, like my, my everybody. Poor, my poor house has got me in it for months here, so uh, I'm doing great, though, man. It's nice to see you. Yeah. Oh, it's a big pleasure and and, and a big thrill for me. I've, I've wanted to talk to you for a long time. Um, you know, uh, you are uh, between you and Lee are, you know, one of you is, you know, the Zelig character of the <laughs> rock and roll age. So I might ask you, who do you think it is? Do you think it's more you or do you think it's more Lee? I, you know, I would say it's more him. He's uh, he's been he's been around. He's been more places than me. This guy's been everywhere. I mean, I've been, I'm, I'm everywhere with a small E. He's everywhere with all caps. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, well, yeah, yeah, but he's backline. You're in the front. Uh, you know, everybody gets to see you. You know, so. <laughs> but that beard, yeah, you can't, you can't miss, uh, miss that big guy with the beard. Uh, definitely. But, uh, you know, your look, man, uh, you know, going uh, for as far as along as I can remember, you know, there's that guy. Who's that guy? I wanted to know who that guy was. So we're, we get to we get to learn all about that today. So yeah, I guess really the first question has to be, you know, after constantly being in demand, both on the road in the studio for 50 plus years, how does it feel to have your first official sabbatical? Yeah. <laughs> It feels uh, well. It, I'll tell you this: it's it's better than when you're coming up and you're working. And I, I said this, and I posed this question to a friend of mine who's a plastic surgeon in New York, who I grew up with and hadn't seen in a long time. In my business, if I'm working and then I have a period of no work, I'm scared to death that I'll never work again. You know. Yeah. And I asked him that. He said, "Absolutely, it's the same for doctors. You know, if a patient." isn't happy or doesn't come back, we're dead, you know. So this is different than that, though. This is a, a forced sabbatical, like you said. And uh, yeah. it was okay for a while. I can dig it. I love being home. But uh, it's getting, it's like I, I feel a bit like a caged animal only because Stevie Nicks had, we had all these shows booked. Yeah, yeah. For, she was going to do a, a solo tour, yeah. And well, you are you are her guy when she goes solo. We've been together for since the eighties doing yeah. our thing on stage. But we had stuff. We were going to do the New Orleans Jazz Festival early May. Mm. We were going to do Bottle Rock in the middle of May. That's we were right. supposed to be at Governor's Ball in New York. We had all these beautiful gigs lined up. Mm. Great big gigs. Gone everything. Not one. Yeah. You yeah. Know, so so it's weird on that level. Um, I've been able to work at home with with people you know uh, and i because i do that anyway people will send me files and i'll do guitar work from home yeah so that i can keep that going and i actually went to the studio the other day for the first time out of the house and went into a studio for two days and played with somebody that was oh okay. who what was it with the immediate family or, or no no it no for, it was okay. actually for Kiefer sutherland's doing a record and, oh okay all right uh, we had another, another record i could say and uh -huh. uh, he's a lovely guy and he's got some mm -hmm. really good tunes and and I went to Chris Lord Algie's studio, and and Chris is such a neat freak anyway that everyone <laughs> you knew it was going to be safe, sanitized and tested. <laughs> right. and tested. So we had a great time, and uh, yeah, and that was the first time I've been anywhere really, except for the market every once yeah. in a while. Yeah, so it's it's pretty strange. 
Sure. Yeah, it, it, it's got to be incredibly strange, especially, you know, uh, you know, for somebody like yourself who, you know, travels the world uh, and plays guitar every night. And, uh, you know, we don't know when that is going to return. Um, you know, when this first occurred, uh, you know, the, the, the thought was, uh, you know, a couple of months, you know, and then it started, the news started to come out that, mm, no, it looks like 2020 is pretty much yeah. over. Yeah. And and it's now done. 2021 doesn't look, certainly the first half doesn't look good at all. The first half <laughs> is very, very bleak to me. I, I don't see anything happening. I mean, numbers are going crazy right now. So I don't see how this is going to get under control till. Uh, there's somebody, a vaccine or yeah. herd yeah. immunity uh, occurs yeah. and, and, you know, God forbid that we do the herd immunity thing because the number of, of deaths that have to be included in that are just horrendous and unthinkable. And it's already, so, the number of deaths already is unthinkable. It, it's, yeah, it, it, especially in this country. We, we just did yeah, a, yeah. a horrible job of managing uh, this and we still are doing a horrible job. I mean, yeah. you know, uh, you know, if, if you just pay attention to, the news or, 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 you know, the science side of things, which maybe they're not a hundred percent right, but at least they're kind of, you know, trying to be correct and they'll, they'll change uh, the information as needed, but, you know, wash your hands, wear a mask, social distancing, those seem pretty simple things to do. Very simple people. You know, if, if uh, a certain fucking asshole <laughs> would have listened to his doctor's advice, and our scientists and not disbanded all the scientific experts, we wouldn't have had a problem. We would have had a minimal fucking problem if he, but I, I don't want to talk about him. I, I wind up throwing something. So let's get off of this. Okay. Oh uh, yeah. And, and uh, know, just, just know. so our diggers know you literally are sitting in your room with all those expensive guitars. We I, wouldn't uh, want you throwing shit around in that room. Yeah. Thank so. you. Thanks. <laughs> I appreciate you talking to me back down. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, but, but let's, let's, where do we, where, you know, what does the other side look like? You know, when, when, you know, we can. I, I really don't know. I mean, I've been saying um, clubs, I don't even see how clubs are going to exist. I mean, it's bad enough, a big arena. I don't know how that's going to happen. But nightclubs, I don't foresee that even being a possibility. I mean, it's such yeah. close quarters. And, and, you know, they tried it and look what's happening. It's all backfiring. And so maybe in the middle of 2021, when maybe a third of the people have been vaccinated and it's working, but I mean, this is going to be a long time. Yeah. I don't, I don't see how we're going to be able to do shows. I don't, I don't understand how we're going to be able to go back to, uh, well, we're never going to go back to normal. So yeah, I don't know how, what new normal is going to look like in an arena. How are you going to have people six feet apart and not wanting to come towards the stage, you know, and how, and not us and us not wanting them to come towards the stage. It's yeah, like, that 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 symbiotic relationship, <clears throat> the energy level that that you know is uh, the feedback loop of, of yeah. energy that occurs yeah. between audience and performer. Without that, you don't really have a rock concert, do you? No, you don't. It's really worrisome. I mean, I'm looking at any any gig, like us or or athletes. You know, what are they going to do? What are we all doing? Anybody who has a I call it a stage performance type yeah. gig. And that includes boxing, tennis. Well, tennis, at least that's one guy against one guy. That yeah. could almost work. Yeah. But the stands are going to be empty. Yeah. 
and it's rough. It's I, 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 I we need some genius to tell us how to come back from this, really. There yeah, some it's... official word that we're okay now, and we can once again commingle because that seems like a non-reality right now. No, and, no. And I just no. pray. I just pray for all the people that protested that they oh. did take yeah. well, put themselves too much at risk because I mean it was it was gorgeous and it it was wonderful to see the amount of love and heart and soul. But I feared for every person out there. There. We'll stand so close to each other, and it's really scary, man. It, it is. It's, it's, um, it's it, I, you know, uh, the closest that, that I, I don't know if you got to see this, but um, uh, the Flaming Lips did a, a, a concert uh, atmosphere, and everybody was in the uh, Wayne Coins' band, the Flaming Lips. Oh, flaming uh, lips. Yeah. And so, so they were all in these big plastic bubbles, both them and the audience, their individual really? bubble. And that, yeah, and I was like, well, you know, they're the flaming lips. So they could get away with something silly yeah. like that, you know. Uh, <clears throat> but is that the future? I, you know, so which then begs the question that, you know, we're 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 gonna talk about, and what we talk about here is a, an art form that uh, you know, rock and roll uh, that's existed for um, almost 70 years now. And you know, a lot of people have always asked, e even at the very early inception, you know, well, is it dead yet? You know, yeah. and, 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 you know, <laughs> in a strange way, uh, you know, the old joke, uh, well, it's not dead, but it sure smells funny. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it, it's had its ups and downs, but I don't know, maybe this is the thing that actually does, you know, no. finally kill no. you, you Okay, no. good. You say no, no, no. No. I mean, music is music. It, it yeah. will, the music will, will, will survive. Yeah. And, and persevere yeah but but performing it live that's a different story i mean people will write people will make records we're all learning how to do this now I mean, yeah yeah you know we i don't know if you saw some of the clips we did on the net of uh, immediate family where we did them all from our, our houses and yeah and, and we're learning to do it a, a more sophisticated way now yeah, uh, actually, you guys did Werewolves of London, I think, first, right? No, no. For, Werewolves came second to last, actually. Oh. Uh, first one was a song of Michael Easier. Mm. And then we did uh, Somebody's Baby. Then we did, then I think Werewolves came, and then we did Machine Gun Kelly. Mm -hmm. Then followed by Cruel Twist, which we did. Which just came out, yeah. Which was, but we were, you know, that was a record, and we were doing video to a record. Like you do a video, really. Yeah. You know, yeah except we were doing it all in our individual homes mm -hmm. and sending it to a great video editor who put it all together. Wonderful guy. Yeah. But, you know, so that's, and we're learning. And like I said, you know, I do recording for people here at my house all the time. Mm -hmm. So I can physically get a file from somebody and give them the great parts they want, or hopefully they're great. But mm -hmm. you know, give them the guitar parts they're looking for. You're being and, uh, modest, Wadi. I'm sure every time you strap on the guitar, it pretty much comes out great. Well, thank you. That's uh, I'd love to. I'd love to. Hey, it's it. not me. It's not me. It's the other people that hire you. Not me. I didn't hire you. Stevie that's Nicks true. hired you. No, Carla Barnoff right. hired you. That's you right. know, yeah, you didn't hire me. You know? <laughs> yeah. But you know, so I, I, you know, you can do that. You can you can do audio from home, but yeah, there, there's nothing like. A band, especially a band like us, getting together and playing live. You know, mm -hmm. we right now we're doing uh, we're going to do a show next weekend. I yeah, I was going to ask about that. You you guys are, are going to try to you know dip your toe into some kind of 
live playing. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, that's going to be interesting. But again, without an audience, right? Without an audience, yes. Without an audience. Oof, I mean, it'll be good for you guys to get there. And, you know, as, as a musician myself, you know, just being in the room with the guys and, you know, and, and, you know, feeling the energy, uh, that helps. Uh, yeah, yeah. but, but, you know, it, it's, but at the same time, it's, you know, as you know, and I know, you know, there's a big difference between the rehearsal room and, you know, yeah, the live yeah, gig. Yeah. and there'll be, I'll tell you, I just realized while you were saying that one phrase that's going to be missing is <laughs> after each song, you know, Thank oh yeah, you. thank, thank you. you. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, gonna yeah. be there. Yeah, that's gone. So. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just it's just so weird. And you know, and then the other thing, you know, at least okay. So a number one, you're working from home, like a lot of moms and dads uh, in uh, in America these days. Uh, luckily, you had already established a system to do yeah. that. So yeah. you've been doing this for a long time. So it's not like you had to reinvent your life on the, the 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 session side of things oh right? well on, the, on that level anyway I, yeah. I can do i can do a portion of what i normally do from here yeah you know? and but, that's good but usually i'm out at a on studio. the road well yeah. I'm oh, a, oh yeah yeah I'm yeah with guys you know mm -hmm. yeah yeah working working together uh, to create something yeah, yeah. To, you know which is uh, uh much uh in, in a lot of ways it's much easier than in a vacuum by yourself it is uh, it is it, it you know there's a spontaneity yeah comes from yeah. that where on your own spontaneity is a little, it's little all in here <laughs> well you know a lot of times i'll just like even though i'm not prepared for it the first take i do on something a lot of times the first take in the studio is the one you want anyway but especially here i'm looking at that first take like you're it yeah, if I yeah, start yeah. thinking this through, it's going to be, you know, it's going to lose it. So yeah. I'll, I'll, a lot of times I'll take that first take and do some fixes on it if it's, something's wrong, you know. But mm -hmm. my first grab usually is, is a pretty good, I have a good instinct usually about what to do for a song when I hear it. So mm -hmm. usually the first thing I throw out is somewhat keepable. So I, I'm trying to stay close to that rather than sit here and painstakingly go over things and wind up with no spontaneity at all. And, and that ain't that ain't rock and roll, right? No, that ain't, that ain't rock and roll. Yeah. Right, right, right. So you know, uh, with losing the the live uh, touring side of things for the foreseeable future, you know, as we know, the in a weird sort of way, you know, the the industry had flipped from you know the record was where the money was and the tour was the marketing side of things, and now you know for the last twenty years it's yeah. been the exact opposite. To the tour, and, and, yeah. and now there's we you know that this and it's not it's not like a an evolutionary process. This was you know, we were all caught dead in our tracks, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, so what, what, you know, what, what, how, do, how, do, how do we all manage this? You know, I've, I've read things like 90% of the independent venues will close and, you know, and then of course you have all of the support staff that yeah. goes with this well-oiled machine, which is a, been a well-oiled machine for the last 40, 50 years. Um, and, uh, um, uh, you know, that's what are those guys going to do? They, they, they're going to peel away. They're going to have to get jobs. And, and then when it does come back, well, you know, what does that other side look like? I, I, yeah. I, I don't know. I'm, it's gonna, you know. That's a very puzzling uh, future. Yeah. Yeah. Very puzzling. All right. So let's let's talk about the the immediate family. So unlike, unlike your bandmates, Danny and Russ, uh, you know, to, you weren't in Spinal Tap. 
Uh, but you, no. were in this, you were in the Poseidon adventure. That's right. How the fuck did you get that gig? <laughs> I, uh, it's funny. I, and, and you even have a name, Crump. Was that the name? Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, I I don't it was that it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I, uh, we were hired to play. I was just a record date. As far as I knew, mm. I was going to uh, 20. It was the first movie score I'd ever played on. Yeah. And, yeah. and I showed up to do this, you know, just to do what I do, play, play whatever they tell me to play. Yeah. And so out there and it was a big orchestra date. It was so I'm going, wow, this is, I was new to town. What was it was at 1970, maybe. Yeah. Uh, I think it was 70, yeah. 69, 70. Yeah. But 70, I think 70. Yeah. yeah. Um, so there's this huge studio full of musicians and I, I see where the rhythm section is and I know them and, and I get over there and, and Michael O'Martian, if you know who that is, Michael O'Martian is, is a great pianist and he was the one who put me on a date. And so they had this song, we were just there to do the morning after that's yeah. all. Yeah. And it wasn't, it wasn't the Maureen McGovern version of it. It was an instrumental version of it for the film. Mm -hmm. So I'm there and I'm like, I'm new boy, you know, I'm green as a fucking cucumber. And uh, there was another guitar player on the date, a guy named Art Munson, who was an ongoing session player who I had heard of. And I'd met a few guys and I was doing sessions, but I, I was, like I said, the first movie date. So uh, they had the conductor and the conductor was Lionel Newman, Randy's, Randy's uncle. Oh, oh, really? Oh, OK. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, so he said, All right, one of the guitars play the melody. And, uh, and I right away looked at Art Munson and I said, well, you know, you should play the melody. You know, you're the established guy. And he said, all of a sudden this voice comes down from the booth saying, who's Wadi? And I went, uh, that's me. He goes, you play the melody. Uh, Michael Amartian said, you should have Wadi play it. He plays really fine melody. You know, have him do it. So he goes, you play the melody. I said, oh, okay, great. And I'm looking at this chart. And I went, okay, yeah, I can read that. You know, it's just important. I'm not a great reader, you know, I, mm. uh, but I can read and yeah. it was fine. I mean, okay, I can get through this, no problem. So, oh, and the answer to your question is though, while we were getting ready to do it, the director of the film came to the studio and he was looking around and he looked, came by where we were and looked at us and he goes, you, and the, <laughs> and the drummer goes, I want you to be in the, you're in the movie. I went, what? He says, you're in the movie. Huh? In a movie? What? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, like you just said, how'd that happen? Yeah. <laughs> in a movie? What? I, I'm so, in a movie? Okay. Yeah. yeah. So we cut the song, and then uh, next thing I knew, I had two weeks on the set of the Poseidon Adventure. Yeah. 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 You are in the scene, uh, the ballroom scene uh, where uh, the band is playing uh, for, I think, New Year's Eve is, is what it yeah, is. Yeah, and, right, uh, right. and the giant tidal wave comes the and wave. knocks the boat. And unfortunately, you die very quickly. No, actually. Uh, oh, oh, there's a story to this. I didn't die. No, no, no. The, uh, her brother, the drummer, dies. Uh -huh. And I'll tell you another fascinating part of this. I was on the road with the Everly Brothers then. And yeah. I went out on the road and they called me to say, listen, we have a scene. You gotta come, you gotta come in and be film this scene where you're sitting with Carol over the brother. Hold on, let me stop this. Um, you're, you're gonna be with Carol Lindley looking at her, and she just passed away recently too. I'm mm, sorry. Yeah. But there was they had me written in a scene where I was gonna have a line or two or something too. But I said, I'm out here and 
I'm out in Greensboro, North Carolina. <laughs> the Everly Brothers. I'm not coming back there to do that. So I didn't do it. So they rewrote the scene. But but uh, cut to, I'll tell you something funny. A million years later, when I was in New York doing Keith's record, Keith Richards' record, and we were uptown staying at the Mayflower Hotel, um, I got in the elevator and Gene Hackman was in the elevator. Oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah. The, the preacher in the movie. Yeah. The preacher. And, and it was just him and me in this elevator. And I'm, I'm looking, he's a big guy, a big, big man. But I'm looking up at him and it's, you know, it's just silent. And, and I went, um, excuse me, Mr. Hackman, you're going to find this hard to believe, but we've worked together. <laughs> and he goes, really? Where, where did we work together? <laughs> I said, the Poseidon Adventure. I was, he goes, oh yeah, you were in the band. <laughs> oh, he, oh, so he did remember. Yeah, I see, I had a big beard then and stuff, but he remembered, he goes, oh yeah, you were in the band. Yeah, That was yeah, funny. Yeah, yeah. But that's how I wound up on it. The director just came to the session and said, you're in it. Here's a quick word from our sponsors. We'll be back in a bit. And now back to the program. Wow, there's there's some connections going there because I mean, if that that was your first uh, movie uh, score, you've gone on to actually compose a couple of yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. movies well, yourself, uh, Joe Dirt and uh, uh, the Mall Cop. I think Paul Bart, the Mall Cop, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah uh, Academy Award winners, if I remember right. Uh, <laughs> Joe Dirt, yeah, big Academy Award winner. It is a cult classic. <laughs> oh, it is a cult classic. Joe Dirt is a pretty hysterical movie. It is. It is. It is. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, you know, you at the same time are, you end up working with um, uh, with um, uh, Randy Newman uh, yeah. and you're working with his brother. So I, there's, you know, uncle. it's uncle, so yeah. L.A. I, yeah, I'm sorry. His uncle. Yeah. Yeah. So, so L.A. Uh, when, <laughs> when, when you get into the, the club, it just kind of. Yeah. goes from there uh, well it, it's, so. it's quite a club to be a member of i, I yeah. when i got called to play for randy i was so excited i, I love him so dearly oh yeah. Uh, yeah it was just great we had a fantastic time together Oh, I yeah, yeah. We did, we'll, we'll, we did we'll, the short people stuff, and then uh, yes, you did. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, amazing uh, period. I, I can imagine, and it is this this whole seventy stuff. We'll talk. We'll talk more uh, about that. So, uh, so you know, the the point that I wanted to make is uh, like your uh, immediate family, brethren, uh, Danny Korchmar and uh, Russ Kunkel, who are in Spinal Tap. You know, you're just as yeah. wild and crazy and wacky as, uh, <laughs> as those guys. So, so, yeah. So, and we all know about Lee getting kicked off of facebook and uh oh, yeah. and all of that so uh you know uh, you got the passion as well you know but one one film i might want to ask you about is um i think you did uh the 2013 to jimmy hendrix biopic right yeah yes so yeah. so the, my first question would be I, there's a lot of people going to talk about that you know uh you mentioned keith and we'll, we'll talk about keith but did you ever get to know Jimmy? Because you you're you're born and bred in New York, and I know he was around yeah. a lot at that time. Yeah, he was in, a no. lot of people that like. Yeah, he was around all over the place. Yeah, he was in the village. He was he was in the village a lot. I heard him playing one night coming out of some club. I was just going, who the hell was that? that? What is that? But yeah. I I actually when I moved to California in '68, my band we were doing our demos, and one night they said. Uh, you're, you're working upstairs tonight. Uh, Jimi Hendrix is in there now. I went, what? And so <laughs> my bass player and I walked in the room and there was Jimmy at the board uh, trying to talk to his engineer, but he was a little 
little uh, altered. Okay. Say so he was having a hard time uh, seeing stuff, but there he was, and that's the only time I was ever near him really. Yeah. I I, I saw him one night in a in a club in New York. Um, my brother called me. I was up in Vermont with this band I had, and my brother called me from New York and said, "You got to come down here. You've got to come down here and see this band I just saw called." Big Brother and the Holding Company. No. Because we had a girl in our band. We had a girl in our band. He says, you've got to see this chick. She's amazing. Mm. And I'm going, Jimmy, it's a blizzard. (laughs) (laughs) It's a six-hour drive. I'm in fucking Vermont. He goes, you've got to come down. So we did it. We got in the car. We drove down to New York, got to this club. And, you know, bands have good nights and bad nights. Uh, Yeah. Big Brother, the Holding Company was not a great band anyway they were horrible (laughs) it was she wasn't good it was you know it's like you know uh, this happens a lot you do a great night and then and i always warn bands that i'm in about this you do a great night so the next night when you show up you you show up with this different air about you you know you think wow man we We got got this yeah yeah you think that you think (laughs) and uh and I'm always warning bands when we go on stage, you know, that second night, don't think we're any good at this. Don't be convinced by what we did last night that we're actually good because we're not. Nobody's good at anything. So just go out there and try hard. Don't pretend yeah. it's yeah. a, a done deal. But so they were having a, they were terrible. They were really terrible. And, That's too bad. And I watched it and I sat there and I was about to look at my brother and just what the hell? You is- made me drive six hours yeah. in the blizzard for as i turned to look at him out of my peripheral vision i see Jimi hendrix walking by me because the band was done the stage yeah. was empty and i see hendrix walking by me i went what what's what's that what's happening you know it's like <laughs> somebody pinched me what's, he, what's yeah. going on and i saw al cooper who i had met several times in new york actually in manny's music store i met al but i went over to him i said what's going on here he goes man there's a jam session happening Oh my God. And so we sat right in front of Jimi Hendrix for this whole jam. Nice. It was phenomenal. He was just so great. Yeah. yeah. So I got close to him that night. Didn't mm-hmm. meet him that night, but I, I said hello to him that night in the studio, but he wouldn't remember. <laughs> would you, would you call him an influence uh, on your playing? Well, I've, I've been playing a long time already. By then. Yeah. When I heard Jimmy, but Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, his, his, well, his, I mean, he influenced yeah. everybody. Well, yeah. I was going to say his left hand, but I mean his right hand because he's left-handed. Yeah. yeah. His left, his right hand was so beautifully in tune, and, and he would just play gorgeous, like you know, Purple Haze, for example, incredible. But when I first heard it, I'm going, yeah, you know, it's okay, it wasn't killing me. Flip it over, the wind cries, Mary. Yeah. I must have listened to that 5,000 times. And his playing on that is so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Unlike mm-hmm. the psychedelic, you know, frenzied stuff. It right. was gorgeous. And that real, real musicianship, real guitar playing mm-hmm. showed on that. So mm-hmm. that's what impressed me about him always. And he yeah. was phenomenal. Yeah. So he was an influence on that level. You know, uh, I never used to sit down and learn the Hendrix records, like I did Beatle records, yeah. you know, but at, at some point when I got hired to do that movie, though, I did, uh, for, what I really did was practice. 
because mm-hmm. I, I knew what he does. I, I've, and I listened to a bunch more while I, but I just went in my room and practiced all day till my fingers were black. Just really? played and played and played and played and played because he was just so versatile on the guitar and so fluid. He could do yeah. anything. Uh-huh. And so I needed my hands to get in shape, really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and they're in shape, but not like that. I needed <laughs> stuff that was, you know, off the charts, as you say. Yeah. So it was amazing experience for me. It really gave me a thrill. And when we went to the studio, it was Leland and Kenny Arnoff, and we were the Jimi Hendrix experience, the three of us. Yeah, you were the trio, right. And it was great. And, and then we also had to do, in the movie, there's some stuff where Cream is playing. So mm-hmm. we had to we had to be Cream then. And I was there. <laughs> nice. Ginger, and he was, he, was, he was Jack. And we had yeah. to change persona, change setups, mm-hmm. change the sounds. I used the Gibson instead of the Fender for Eric's thing. And we, we spent, I think we spent only maybe two days doing it. Or, we felt like we, we felt like we'd been on an acid for a month after those days. We we played so many tunes and so many things, and I, I was given the task of a lot of the things you hear in the movie are when they're like rehearsing and getting to know each other. All those licks they're playing, the things I made up. You got yeah, you got yeah. That's additional dialogue that you're putting in or foley, yeah. I guess. Is so it, we we it, went through, and then we yeah. also had to be them in the shit clubs in New York before they were <laughs> made it. You know, we had to yeah. first be his shitty band that he was playing this terrible band. oh the the blue flames right uh, well no that was uh that was curtis knight wasn't it was, was that it curtis, curtis? oh that yeah. might have i'm not sure maybe yeah i think the blue flames might have been him yeah yeah curtis knight was was his, the band he was guitar how to do that too yeah that, oh the, the side the, stuff yeah yeah even yeah. the but i don't i don't, I don't yeah. think little richard his his no, name, little no. richard was in the movie but no yeah. no it wasn't yeah. but but the playing at the cafe wall with jimmy doing this yeah. shitty version of hey joe we had to do that's so right. Change yeah. the mics again, and Nico Bolas, my my dear brother, engineer, producer, we studied everything for years together. So, and we love mono. So, and all that stuff is mono. Yeah. So, and when we did see the the saddest thing about the movie was, in the script there was an entire session for the, the song Hey Joe. Mm-hmm. We were supposed to do the song. The entire song. Yeah, and mm-hmm. so I learned note for note. I learned that solo, uh, everything about it. Kenny learned every drum fiddle. Every we had it, I and mean, we recorded it. And and w- when Andre came in and he sang it, I said, "You got to sing it with us." Yeah. And it's an, when we came in and listened, we were, "Is that us?" Or I mean, is it, it Hendrix? So, yeah. It's really close. I mean, it, it it it's one of the things I'm so proud of. It was amazing. And Nico got the drums, the mono sound, lots of verb on those drums. There's backgrounds on that record. I didn't even realize there was backgrounds on that record. Oh, you're not aware of it, right? No. The, the, the next time you listen to it. In Hey Joe, out. yeah, okay. There's all backgrounds right. from the start to the end. There's, there's backgrounds all the way through. So you had all that, you did all yeah. that as well. Yeah. And so did did this version ever see the light of day? The We had a problem, Jimi Hendrix's uh, uh, the estate. stepsister the, who runs that estate. Uh, was would not let us do anything it was unbelievable we cut the song we had the and they'd written you know the writer the the great screenwriter wrote the whole thing out though there was a whole scene showing the recording of his first big hit yeah it yeah. was it was scrubbed everything was scrubbed we, we had a few more things we did we finally got the wild thing performance from monterey 
is at mm -hmm. the end of the movie under the credits. That's us doing that. It is. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. 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 The famous uh, uh, lighter, the, the lighter bit yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. that he did at Monterey yeah. in 67. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, where Mama Cass leans over to uh, Pete Townsend and says, you know, he's stealing your act, right? <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, that's right. So we were, we, you know, we lost a lot of the stuff we wanted to do in it. And we, but we spent so much time in the studio, so much great time. I mean, I mean to say it took long, long, but we felt like we trans we transcended. We'd gone through these journeys together. It yeah. was unbelievable. Yeah. We really felt spaced from it. It was incredible. Well, maybe one day uh, the estate will uh, let you guys uh, release that. Uh, I hope so. It'll yeah, be one of those things that uh, you know. There's been, you know, there's there's been a fair amount of this archaeology where uh, somebody's you know released. In fact, Neil Young just released an album. Uh, this yeah, week yeah. That, uh, I can't wait to hear been, uh, Yeah, it'd been uh, in the can for forty years. You know. Yeah. So, yeah. Can't wait to hear it. At the end of the movie, the one thing we did get to do uh, was the Sergeant Pepper. And uh, Danny. Glass. Oh, that's right. That's right. Danny in front Bramson. of the Beatles at the uh, the yeah, Savoy yeah. Theater. Yeah. Mm -hmm. the, yeah. And Danny, Danny Bramston, who brought me onto the film, who I love dearly, he went right to Paul. He just bypassed the the Jimi Hendrix world completely. He yeah. Went right to Paul McCartney and Yoko and said, "Can I get your permission to do Sergeant Pepper?" And they said yes. So it didn't matter what anyone else said. So we went and recorded that. And. Uh, yeah, that was and that was that was the uh, the the crowning achievement at the end of the film. That's, that's yeah, right. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a fun film. I, I enjoyed it. I thought Andre did a great job as, as, uh, as Jimmy. Uh, I was I was surprised. It's uh, you know you wouldn't think that, but uh, but he did a great job. And uh, you know the movie actually is pretty good. And um, you know yeah, it it, it could have used some love from the Hendrix estate, and uh, it probably would have been a big giant hit. I think I don't know. I, I don't know if that would have changed anything about it, but it, yeah. it was real. I thought it was really well done. It yeah, really, really. It is. It's worth worth seeing. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So let's get back to the beginning. You you were you were born and raised in uh, in New York, Jackson Heights, I believe. Uh, you know, what was music like in your house growing up? Well, um, it was, you know, it was pre rock and roll, really. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there was rock and roll didn't come till uh, yeah, fifty-five. Uh, you know, the fifties or fifty-four, yeah. fifty-five. Yeah. So, I grew up, I grew up singing everything I heard. You know, and there was just like Patty Page or Johnny mm -hmm. Ray or whatever instrumentals, and I just, I was always attracted to music. I just, I, I didn't know. I thought everyone was. You know, I didn't know. You know, you. You grow up, you think everyone's the same. You know, you think everyone's yeah. yeah. Everyone's yeah. Everybody, everybody's experiencing life the same way well, you. Everyone's are. Jewish. <laughs> you know, everybody's Jewish and everybody yeah. eats the same. Well, in, in some so, small way, we are all Jewish. Uh, so yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's true. But, so I noticed at one point that, well, everyone around me noticed that, God, you're singing. You're always singing. I went, yeah, that's true, isn't it? And uh, I just was drawn to melody. I could hear melodies and I'd, I'd learn them and sing them. And, mm -hmm. and that was it for me. And then I saw uh, a guitar on television. Um, when my, my mom died when I was six, but when I was five, oh. when I was five, she was standing right by me and there was a, a big band thing on this black and white TV. And all of a sudden they cut to this guy playing, doing this with this thing in his hands. And I, I was mesmerized. I went, what's that? Really? Yeah. I just went, what is that? Mm -hmm. My mother said, that's a guitar. And I went, 
What? A guitar? Guitar? Guitar. That's what I want. That's what, what? What do you mean that's what you want? At, at, at five. <laughs> yeah, so that's what I want. I want one. I want a guitar. She goes, you're five years old. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I want a, that's what I want. I want that thing. I want one of those. Yeah. And, uh, and I think, you know, my dad finally, when I was nine, got me my first guitar and uh, mm-hmm. got me a teacher, a great teacher. And, and you've had a, you've had a couple of really good teachers. Uh, one of which was uh, Rudolf Schramm, who was the head of the NBC Orchestra. Yeah. How did that happen? Rudy Schramm and his wife were friends of my parents. They mm-hmm. lived around the corner from us in Jackson Heights. I had no idea what he did. Uh, they and uh, I used to hang out at their place because they we weren't allowed to have a dog in our building, and they had German Shepherd, beautiful dog. So yeah. I would always hang out over there. And I knew he had a piano, but I didn't know what he did for a living. And and then one day he said he wanted to give my brother and I piano lessons. But I was already on my, I don't give a shit. I want to play guitar. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah. Piano. So piano. Said, uh, he said, you know, and I said, I want to play piano. I want to play guitar, Dad. I told you. Yeah. So, uh, so, but then, you know, cut two years later when I, I was away for a while from New York. I was in Vermont, like I said. Mm-hmm. And my band had wound up in Connecticut and we were avoiding the draft, going to New Haven College. And and then the band broke up and I wound up having to go back to New York. And I tried to get into Nan's College of Music. And I, on the test, I couldn't, I, I was doing fine with the written stuff, but when it came to the dictation where you they play something and you have to write it down. Okay. I was like, hey, mm-hmm. That ain't me, man. Because right. I, I was an ear player from right away my teacher noticed he said you're not you know you're not reading this stuff i said well i'm reading it but once i read it through i learn it so i can and then and then it's it's the heart at that point it's yeah my ear would would lead me my ear Mm -hmm. would before my eyes and so a lot of my musical dictionary comes from my ear Mm -hmm. and so i couldn't get the dictation part down i couldn't get it in that school and then i thought about Mr. Schramm, and I was wondering what he did. So I called him, and at that point now, he had an office at Carnegie Hall, up in the, in the offices. And I told him the, the situation, and he said, well, come see me, Bobby, come on, see me. So I went there, and I, uh, I had, uh, when I moved back to New York, this barber, I'm like, my old man made me go get a haircut, and this barber just like, cut it all off. I had, I had dreads at that point. We didn't even know what dreadlocks were. <laughs> right, but right. This is I the mid-60s, right. Yeah, yeah, I never washed my hair. It was a, I was an animal. So mm-hmm. I had these great dreadlocks, and this guy cut it all off. Oh. And I had this crew cut, you know, and I was really embarrassed to be me. But I went to Mr. Schramm, and, and, and I said, after he said, I'll teach you myself. I'll teach you three times a week. Wow. And, uh, and I'll teach you my version of rhythm, harmony, and, and melody. Uh, uh-huh. Have a system that I've been developing. I said, "Oh, that's great." I said, and then also, think you can help me because I've already said yes to a gig in Vermont in uh, three months from now. Can you help me talk my father into it? He goes, "Yeah, we'll, we'll deal with it." <laughs> we'll, we'll oh, nice. It. But let me get, let me get you going. So, so he taught me himself three times a week, and uh, invaluable stuff he taught me. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah. The other thing interesting that I, I, I discovered is that you're you're actually a lefty. But you play right-handed, yeah. right? Well, I, and I learned in the Hendrix movie he was actually a righty that played left-handed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
yeah, pretty weird, huh? Yeah. yeah but weird. you still, you still play, uh, uh, you, you still right. play right-handed, oh, but you're, you're a lefty. So <clears throat> are, are you ambidextrous at all? Or is this just like the only thing that you do that you I don't do, do left-handed? I think I deal cards right-handed. Do you? I, I'd have to. Yeah, I, I, I think I deal. I, I'm, a, I'm a lefty too. So yeah, I think I deal right, right handed. Is that right? Yeah. So, yeah. I think I do that. Yeah. That's the only other thing I can do. Yeah, right yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, do you think it makes a, a difference? You know, a lot of people want to say it does make a difference, but I don't. I don't know. I mean, no. you know, I, I don't see. I don't see how anybody can tell. Yeah. Uh, I can tell. Uh, you know, does it? Yeah, does it really matter? I mean, yeah. Well, you know, you you would think that the the dominant hand. You know, they always say they want the dominant hand on the strumming side. You know, but but then again, my hand being the left hand being the dominant one, my melodic sense in my fingers is, I wouldn't trade that for anything my fucking right hand can do. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So you know, maybe maybe it makes sense to be the other way. Uh, who knows? But I, I, I and I think I, and for us lefties, you know, let's face it, we're only ten percent of the population out there. Right. We have a, a much shorter lifespan, according to statistics. Uh, you know, probably because the world is all set right-handed, and we kill ourselves running with scissors or something <laughs> like that. You know, but but the the fact is, is that uh, you know there there is this thought that oh well you have to do this, and there are, you know for the lefties out there, no, it it really doesn't. Make make a, a difference no um, i i sat there with it like this before my teacher came uh -huh. you know and i'm just you know doing nothing listen and by then see when i started playing the, one of the first things i heard by when i was nine that's 1955 uh 56 okay carl perkins blue suede shoes all of a sudden i'm hearing this kind of music and yeah. i had some doo-wop tunes I, you know i'm in new york so we're mm -hmm. hearing this great acapella stuff and doo-wop songs get a job by the silhouettes and yeah plays great tunes but then all of a sudden there was this guitar-based rock and roll and i lost my mind you know i couldn't i couldn't stand it it was incredible and mm -hmm. so i'm sitting there like this and they got gene dell his name was comes to my house and he just grabs it he goes it goes like this <laughs> <laughs> I said, what i said but i'm left-handed he goes not anymore yeah. But, <laughs> there you go not you anymore know, argue you know uh, fine, you know, you're bigger yeah. than me. Yeah. So, well, who knows? Maybe that's a big part of your success. You know, uh, you know, I, you know, I've, I've constantly said, hey, look, there's no Beatles without Ringo. And the reason that Ringo is so integral in the success is because he's left handed playing right handed, but leads left handed, which is yeah. a whole nother weird sort of thing. Right. Which, yeah. But but that creates some originality that you you can't get from somebody else. Maybe. I don't know. You know, like I said, I, <laughs> I just said, okay, fine. Teach me. I don't care. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. I'll use my feet. Just teach me. I don't want to <laughs> play guitar. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, once I started playing, it was, that was it. And then, yeah. And I went and studied with a great teacher named Sal Salvador in New York. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. He's a brilliant jazz player who taught me a lot. You know, I learned yeah. a lot. I learned a lot just from being with Sal. And, and he, he put me through a lot of training, a lot of books and stuff. Yeah, yeah, and that's that was your education uh, from uh, from those guys. Yeah, so then you took uh, is it was it the Orphans that uh, was the band uh, that you were you were doing at that time? That yeah, the Orphans. And... Well, yeah, the Orphans was we went to Newport, Rhode Island, then we went to Vermont. Well, mm. actually, the Orphans were basically Newport and around New England, and then the Orphans broke up when it, when the band disbanded in Connecticut and left me. Um, I put the band back together with some other people from Rhode Island and we called it 
Twice Nicely for some Twice reason. Twice Nicely, right. right yeah. Right. And that yeah. was the band we moved out to California. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's the band I was in Vermont with. Yeah. Yeah. So you now you met um, uh, the Calsills. Uh, uh, was it Bud, uh, Bud Council? Council yeah. right there, right there. Yeah. and is he the one that got you to like go? Yeah, go to L.A. Go 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 to the West Coast. No, 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 no. He he said to me, uh, "I'm thinking of moving the whole operation to L.A. You want to go?" I went, definitely. Oh, there you go. Okay. Yeah. It was his. It was his idea. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so you packed up the bags and uh, left we, New York yeah. and yeah, I didn't hardly had any clothes with the shit anyway. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, we got two two different vehicles and drove out to uh, California. Yeah, yeah. And you have you been here ever since? Yeah. Never yeah. left. Never, never wanted to go back to New York. Well, I mean, I get to go to New York. Plenty. Well, to, but not to live. I mean, to no, live. no, I, I didn't. Yeah. I didn't want to go back and live there. Yeah, yeah, no need, huh? Yeah, I, I miss when, it a lot. I miss it a lot. Yeah. But I mean, when I, we did Keith's records in New York, and yeah, you know, after a while, it was like, okay, can I see something green, please? <laughs> the concrete jungles get yeah, boring. Yeah. Yeah, you know, after yeah. a couple of months of us doing our uh, night shift, yeah, uh, graveyard shift work, and coming out in the morning and seeing the buildings, and then going back in at evening and seeing the buildings and. Mm -hmm. Not seeing anything else. Uh, I missed LA. Yeah. I love New York, but after a while, it was like, okay, I could go back to LA now. Yeah, you know? I, I'm with you. I, I love New York. I love being there. I love uh, you know awesome. the smell of the city, the, sure. the, the all the things you can do. The food is great uh, and everything. But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, once you, once you've had Southern California sun, uh, it's kind of I, I I was born and raised here. So when I'd go anywhere and people, you know, I'd, I'd look around and say, if you know about California, why would you ever live here? Uh, yeah. Opposed to California. But, but yeah, I can see where, where, uh, you know, a guy like yourself comes out and says, no, nah, this is it. This is where I'm staying. So in 68, you come out with uh, your band uh, twice nicely. Do you, uh, are, you know, I, I uh, the other guys, there's definitely this Laurel Canyon uh, connection. Are you in that as well? Did you come out and like move up Laurel Canyon and all that, or is it different for you? Well, after I we, we were when the band came out, we weren't in the canyon. We were somewhere else. And uh, but after a while, I, I, you know, I met Dave Crosby. He was one of the first people. I met. <laughs> it's like everybody. Everybody's got that story. Yeah, I moved out here and I met Dave Crosby at the at the country store, and uh, that was it. Yeah. Well, we saw he was, had really good weed. That's what I we, remember. We had better weed. Um, yeah. That's why. That's why I got to know him so well. Well, <laughs> oh, but it was crazy okay. when we drove into L.A. the first time. We were on Sunset Boulevard, uh -huh. and out of nowhere, my bass player Bob Munns, his name is, he says, "Oh, that I want to go. There's a health food store. I want to go to that health food store." I went, what? Health food? What the hell's that? <laughs> I never even heard the phrase. I'm like, Welcome to California. Yeah, no, no, pull over, pull over. We, I got to go in there. I want to see this health food somewhere. Health food? I, I'll go in with you. All right. We go in. Neil Young is in there. Oh, shit. He said, I, I just looked and went, holy shit, that's uh, Neil Young. Right. We didn't talk to him. Buffalo, just, Buffalo Springfield at that time, yeah, right? Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. We didn't say anything to him. I was too, too shocked. Yeah. But, you know, a couple nights later, we were at dinner at this restaurant, and there's there's David sitting there a few tables away. So I went and mm -hmm. introduced myself to him. 
he came, I invited him to hear the band and he came over and heard the band and he dug, dug what we were doing and we became pals, you know, he came over and like I said, he'd come over a lot because we had a good strain of uh, weed at that point. Mm-hmm. And then one day he called me and said, you know, I got to tell you something, man. And he helped us with our demos too when we were in the studio, we were doing these demos. But he, he said to me, he says, you know, you're the only one in that band, right? And I went, oh. Really? I said, please don't tell me that. And he goes, mm-hmm. you know it's true, right? Um, well, I hear what you're saying. Mm-hmm. He goes, mm-hmm. you know that's you know, you have a future in this, but uh, the rest of them, I don't think so. And yeah, yeah. I don't need to hear that right now. And but you know, as time went by and stuff, it became, it became obvious. Became more apparent. We were yeah. We we, we tried. I, I, I the way I left the band was I said I'm firing you. Uh, Judy, <laughs> the girl that was in the band, Judy Palmer and I, we stayed together. She wrote the lyrics with me, and she wrote great songs of her own too. But we wrote together, so we were the creative force. I said, I'm firing you guys. I'm not quitting. You're all fired because you're such fucking assholes. And uh, I just want you to remember that. And I'm going to go be a studio musician. That's what I'm going to do. Because I'd met through, uh, we'd met Keith Olsen and Kurt Betcher. I don't know if you know Kurt's name, but mm-hmm. they were partners then. And they came and heard us and really dug us. Mm-hmm. And we were going in the studio with them. And and, yeah, uh, I think Keith Olsen, well, no, that's, he shows up a little bit later. But yeah, yeah. I think the, the first real well, session well, yeah. gig you get is with the Everly Brothers, right? Well, that, and the Everly's was my first road gig. I was the first road session. gig. Uh, yeah, I was already doing sessions before I got the Everly gig. So my what was first, the first session you got? The first session really was uh, Bill Cowsill, the, the oldest member of the boys. Okay. Cowsill's mm-hmm. and got a solo deal. And... So he hired me to come play on this session. Mm-hmm. So I did that. And then I met a, a friend of mine who has passed away now named Roy Marinell, who is one of the writers. He's the third writer on Werewolves with Warren and myself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Roy and I became very good friends. And he introduced me to a producer named Nick Vanay, who, who produced Linda's first album, the Stone Ponies album, mm-hmm. who also produced the first Beach Boys album. Nick was a real player then. And he introduced me to Nick and Nick, Heard me play and really liked what I was doing. So he hired me a lot. Right. And it was great. So I started working for him. I started working for other producers around town, but a lot for, for him. And eventually he said, it's time for you to move on from here. I thought he meant I was, he was firing me. You know? <laughs> what do I do? Yeah. No, man, you're better than what we're doing. Because I always wind up, we wound up doing a lot of acoustic stuff, folk, mm-hmm. folk records and stuff. And he goes, so... Um, I, I went on from there, and I, and Lou Adler, uh, he introduced me to David Foster, and David heard me playing. David was the new piano player in town, yeah. and Nick had invited him down specifically to hear me play. Mm-hmm. So he says, well, bring your electric stuff tomorrow. I want him to hear you play slide. I want him to hear you play melody and rhythm and electric. So, and then a few days later, I got called to do a, a session for Lou Adler, and, uh, and that's then things started really rolling. Yeah. So, so, and, and now did you, now you start to meet some of your, your bandmates. Uh, oh, I was just going to say, I, I met, Lee, I met yeah. Lee through Keith Olsen. He put us mm-hmm. together on a Bobby Womack session. Okay. So Lee yeah. and I met mm-hmm. and, and I did a, a, a I met Jim Keltner before that. I'd, I'd met a lot of the guys in town because I was doing sessions. I met Jim Keltner and Bill Plummer, mm-hmm. who was a great bass player, a guy named Wolfgang Meltz and, and some of the other guitar players, Ben Benet. But I kept seeing this name, Cooch. <laughs> Who's this Cooch guy? And I'm listening to Danny, and I'm like, 
who is this fucking guy? Who is this guy? I hate this guy. Why does he get all this work? What does he get? All, who's yeah. What? Why is yeah. he getting all this work? And I'm not. And Lee Sklar, Russ Kunkel. I'm like, okay. So I met Lee. Mm-hmm. And then a couple of days or weeks later, I was driving my 57 Chevy. And out of this driveway comes this other 57 Chevy. And we were like, like this, pulling in. And here's his driver's window. And here's mine. And yeah. he goes, are you Waddy? <laughs> yeah. He goes, I'm Russ. I went, hey, man, how you doing? He goes, I'm good. And the people honking at us. He goes, I got to go. He says, we're going to be seeing a lot of each other. Yeah. And, and, yeah. Other. 50 and years on. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so Russell and I and Lee had met. Mm-hmm. And then on that Lou Adler date, there was Danny. So we met, we instantly loved each other. You know, forget that. I hate this guy. <laughs> we fell in love and it was a reggae tune. And we were both reggae crazy at that time. That's all mm-hmm. we were listening to individually. We didn't, you know, I didn't know anything about him, but he like Warren and I were so taken by harder they come. That's all we were listening to. Right. So, yeah. First tune was a reggae. We went, Oh, I, I know what to do. And Danny goes, me too. I went, you do, you listen to reggae? He goes, Oh yeah. So we got on incredibly well immediately. And that's the, the crux of our band is those, that session was the start of us playing together. Yeah. So that was 72, 73, right around there. Yeah. It led to the Carol King record thoroughbred. Yeah. Yeah. And because the, they had been playing with Carol for a while, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, obviously, you know, Danny's all over tapestry. Uh, I think right. uh, Leland uh, and Russ had been in her uh, touring band uh, prior to that. So, so this, yeah. is that the first time you guys all kind of worked together? Well, the first time was that Tim Curry record. The first time we got together was for a Tim Curry record. Lou Adler was producing. Oh, that okay. Was, oh, so this is uh, so th- so this has got to be seventy four, seventy five. Well, that's the, Rocky that, Horror, that, Rocky Horror period, uh, right around there. Yeah. Well, the Thoroughbred record came out in seventy four, I think. So we yeah. probably cut it, cut it in seventy three. Okay. And then we went out and toured it, mm-hmm. and uh, and so yeah, but we you know so between Danny and Russ and I, we were all working a lot then. So. You know, your day would start off, I'd be on a session with Lee. Uh, next session, I'd be on a session with Russ or Russ mm-hmm. and Lee. And then and I'd see Danny at night on some, something else. And it was like that all week long. You know, we, we'd always be, some of us would be together. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when we came back to L.A. with Carol's tour, we played at UCLA and Peter Asher saw me there with with Carol. And, and he wanted me to come play it for Linda. Yeah, yeah. And, and I did a record date. But I think I did a record day before that for him, for J.D. Souther was the first record I did for Peter. Uh, Black Rose album, uh, White uh, that what's that song? A Simple Man, Simple Dream. That was the first song I played for Peter <clears throat> and for J.D. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so Peter's kind of like the 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 linchpin of yeah. of all of this um, you know uh, you know real quick peter's story uh you know uh, uh, uh his sister is dating paul's paul mccartney and uh yeah. and then uh you know he uh, you know peter and gordon are are, are a thing uh, I, was singing, I was singing lennon and mccartney songs yeah 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 and then Great. yeah and then he ends up working for apple core uh he signs uh james taylor uh that doesn't go great but it gets them to la and yeah. uh and now peter's in la with this whole new vibe which was very kind of 
against the grain of what the LA studio system had been. And, and I think that's, that's a big difference of why everybody knows your guys' names and oh, maybe yeah. not the wrecking crew. Is no, because, it, was, it was Peter. Peter, yeah. I mean, I've heard Danny say this before I even knew it. Like their names, I think, are on that James Taylor record, you know. Yeah. And Peter said the band's names are going on these records mm -hmm. from now on. These people need to know who's playing this music. And that was the, the crux of now that you've played on the record, now you got to go play it on the road. So it sounds exactly the same. Yeah. And that yeah. was Peter's idea. And Peter, bless his heart, he took good care of us. We made sure we traveled well. We were paid very well. And we did our work very well. You know, we all, it was it was a equal opportunity employment on, on all levels. We did, right. Well, we all came through for each other all the time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, a long history, and uh, uh, it's really nice that he has gotten the accolades uh, of being so instrumental in that early 70s. You know, what we might call that singer-songwriter soft rock uh, type of thing. And, I mean, without, uh, without Peter, there's no the greatness of Linda Ronstadt. I think we could all agree with that. Yeah. I mean, she just explodes uh into becoming and you know you know luckily we we've been able to see some of of this recently the reminders of just how big she was in the 1970s oh, yeah. i mean people forget and you know it's sad uh, her situation uh i i can't yeah. imagine as a singer you know not being able to do that thing that you were born to do uh, it just I don't know. I, I, I just, it's sad. It's heartbreaking. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, but boy, what a, what a catalog to, to look to uh, and, and live and with. When, you know? when you toured then, you were on the road for like a long time. Yeah. We, we would go out for months at a time. You know? Yeah. 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 It was, uh, yeah. It was, uh, yeah. The never ending tour type. You of, were uh, gone. Yeah. 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 <laughs> So 72, you, you do work on this Everly Brothers comeback, um, Stories We Can Tell. It's been produced by, by Paul Rothschild. Paul Rothschild. I got uh, it. You I know, old, old, old uh, um, Doors producer. Yeah. I got a call from a friend of mine uh, about doing some session work. He wanted me to come to meet with him about these upcoming dates he was going to do. Arnold Rosenthal, his name was. Mm -hmm. I hope he's still alive. And he, God bless him. He got me going on everything. Um, him and Nick Vanay are uh, largely responsible for everything I've done. And so, but I so saw I'm talking to him about this stuff and all of a sudden just, well, uh, as a side comment, he goes, well, by the way, uh, the Emily brothers are looking for a guitar player. I'm like, stop. What? The Everly brothers? You know, these are my idols from the time I was 10 years old. I mean, yeah. Yeah, do two you know, people you, sing better together in the world well, than the Everly Brothers? Be better looking, first of all. Yeah, well, yeah there's that too. Yeah. Huge Gibson guitars. Yeah. And the way, the way they sounded and sang, and it, it was incredible what they were. And mm -hmm. so I was, you know, I, well, that's my gig, man. I said, I know every song. Mm -hmm. I know every lyric. I know every harmony part. I know every guitar part. What, what do I do? Yeah. How do I get this done? What do I do? He says, well, call this guy Sandy Zivon. He's the uh, uh, yeah, that's getting me to where I want to go, right? Yeah, so I called Sandy's Yvonne and set up. Uh, okay, we'll come down to Studio Instrumentals tomorrow and you'll audition. I said, okay, great. Okay, fine. So I went there and I keep saying, Are you Warren? Are you Sandy? No, I'm not Sandy. Are you Sandy? No, well, who's Sandy? And all of a sudden the door flies open and guy, this guy comes in with a fedora hat on, <laughs> seersucker jacket. Well, who the fuck is this guy? 
I'm thinking this must be the manager or something. Because hi, I'm Sandy Zivon. I went, you are? <laughs> oh, okay. Wow. Okay. Interesting. And I, at that point, I still had the beard like in the Poseidon adventure. And uh -huh. it was summertime. So I'm wearing like a shirt like this and clogs. It was hot as fuck. It, you know? you know, I'm a New Yorker. I was sweating to death, you know, so yeah, I yeah. dressed accordingly. And so he says, okay, here's what we're going to do. We'll play. And I was replacing a great guitar player named Bob Warford. He was leaving. Mm -hmm. We'll play the song once and then we'll play it with you. I said, okay, well, that's fine. But, you know, we could leave that step out really because I, I know, know the song. Right. No. We're going to do it like I'm telling you. I said, oh, boy. Okay. I can tell this guy doesn't like me already. And okay, fine. So they did, I don't know, Bye Bye Love. And it's, did it. I played it. Susie did it, played it. Dream did it, played it. All of a sudden, they get to, do you know the song Walk Right Back? You know that song? Mm -mm. Uh oh. Well, all right. You're in trouble. Uh oh. You don't know this song Walk Right Back by the Everly Brothers. You uh, must know that song. I'm sure I do. I just don't have it in my head at the moment. Yeah. You you have to know that song. Anyway, we go to do it, and I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, he's playing it wrong. He's playing it. It's a, it's a, it's that, it goes like this. Oh, yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah. Okay, so Warren is playing it wrong. Yeah. He's not playing it right. It's like, and I'm thinking, this guy doesn't like me already. And I'm about and now to. Now you're about to tell him, hey, you're doing it wrong. So dude. I said, it's all right. It's your turn. I said, okay, fine, but you're not doing it right. He goes, what? I'm the band leader. I'm the, I know what I'm doing. I said, well, that may be, but it goes like this. And I played it, and Bob Kanigi, who had been with the Everly's a long time, the bass player, instantly goes, Hey, that's, that's, <laughs> that's it. That's right. So Warren was like, oh boy, I don't like you. So we did a few tunes, a few more tunes. And he goes, well, I guess he got the job. You know, he's, and he said it to me like that. Yeah, I guess, yeah. He, I guess he got the job. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, you're going to have to shave that big beard off. Oh, and really? I, and I went, oh, really? I said, well, you know what? If Don Everly tells me to shave my beard off, I'll shave it off right then. But you, you telling me I'm going to have to shave? No, I ain't shaving for you. <laughs> so we had this, you know, fuck you, fuck you attitude towards each other. Right wow. Away, you know, right away. Uh -huh. But, you know, we knew, we could tell each one was very qualified. Musically, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, and, yeah. and then when we got on the road, we started to get to know each other. It was we we loved each other dearly. I mean, but we we would argue a lot about music. We would always not see eye to eye about certain musics and stuff like that. But so so anyway, I got the job, and mm -hmm. and and the Everleys weren't there at this rehearsal. And I said, as a matter of fact, when the thing about the beard came up, and I said that about Donald, and I said, as a matter of fact, where are they? How come? Where, where are they? He goes, oh, they're in the studio making their record. What? Huh? And you were their band? Yeah, aren't we supposed to be there? <laughs> I said, what, what kind of band is this? You, you, they're doing it with, with studio musicians? I said, I'm a studio musician. <laughs> what, why aren't you in the studio with them? And he didn't like that either. Mm -hmm. So the best thing about it was when I was leaving that studio, 
rehearsal studio. I'm walking out and like I was saying, I learned a lot, I learned a lot of songs in my life. I never really learned a lot of classical music, except for what I had to play, Bach stuff, two-part inventions. I'd learned all that, but I never listened, sat around listening to classical music, except for one album that we happened to have in our house because this uncle we bought it for didn't want it. So I just happened to fall in love with this particular piece. And as I'm walking out of the studio, Warren's Yvonne goes, all right, wise guy, he's sitting at the piano. He goes, since you know every song, what's this? And he plays. And in my mind, I'm thinking, I'm laughing out loud in my head because he just picked the only classical piece I know. Uh huh. And I just looked at him and I went, Beethoven's fourth in G, asshole. <laughs> See you later. And oh, <laughs> oh, lucky <laughs> you, lucky you. I didn't know. I, I think maybe twenty years later, I by the way, Warren. Oh yeah, that's the you only one picked, I knew. Yeah, any other two? Oh no, you're kidding! Uh, I said absolutely. That's the only one I know. Wow. <laughs> So, well, cosmic meant to be, uh, because yeah, you and Warren become really, really close friends. And I think you you played on most of his uh, uh, his albums. Well, I you played know, on a lot. I produced the, the big album. Jackson. Yeah, Excitable Boy. Um, yeah, was. Uh, I mean, and I think uh, uh, Lee, Russ, Lee, and Danny are all on it. Oh yeah. Well, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Positively. Yeah. 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 More yeah. than once. Yeah. Yeah. More yeah. than once. So, and then, uh, of course, I mean, obviously, you know, we got to talk about Werewolves of London, which you, uh, you helped write. Uh, and uh, uh, I, I know the song has got a, a troubled history. It's like, it's, it was like a jam and no. it couldn't, you could never find a, the right groove or something like that. No, well, the, and, the, the troubled history was the recording of it. Okay. The song itself it was written very quickly because... Mm -hmm. My friend Roy, same Roy, I was talking about Roy Manel, had this guitar lick, but had it for years sitting around, and we tried to write it into hundreds of songs, and it never worked, never sounded good. And I stopped by his house on my way into town to do a session, nothing for Linda, and Warren was there, and he said, "Oh man, it's great that you're here." Phil, Phil Everly, called me last night, and said, "You guys should write a song." called Werewolves of London. He says, I'm just watching this old English movie called Werewolf of London. So you should write a song, Werewolf of London. And I literally had just gotten back from being in London. And, and so he said, and I said, Werewolves of London? Hey, that's easy, man. And I looked at Roy, I said, Roy, play that. Do it. Lick. Play that lick that's been haunting us for all these years. You know, play yeah. that fucking lick. Uh -huh. uh -huh. He started playing the lick and I looked right at Warren and I just said, you mean something like, I saw a werewolf with a Chinese menu in his hand, walking did, down. So the, you did oh, you come up with that first lyric? Yeah, yeah. The wow. first verses. I just spit it out right at one, looking, you know, mm -hmm. the whole chow mein and yeah, you know, everything. Uh, and Warren goes, I said something like that. He goes, Yeah, just like that. <laughs> yeah. And I said, and and it's about a wolf, so we ought to go out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah that's good. Right. And then I, I saw the time. I said, I gotta go. Finish it. You guys finish it. I gotta go. So they, the two of them wrote the rest of it up until the big line was, and so then we, we got in the studio, the, the, the big line 
still haven't been formed yet. So I'll get to that in a minute. But uh-huh. we go to record it, and we don't like it. We go. To, I tried it with. I don't know who the first band. We tried it with probably six or seven different uh, groups combinations of, the, right, of right. the best players in the city. Yeah, Russell, yeah, yeah. Russell and Lee, Russell and Bob Glob, Jeff Picaro and Lee, Jeff Picaro and Bob Glob, <laughs> Jeff Picaro and Kenny Edwards, Jeff Picaro wow. and and someone else, Rick Schlosser on drums, Michael Botts on drums, another guy on drums. I didn't get Keltner in there on that one, but. Every other drummer I could think of to give it a shot, and it's just the groove was it a groove thing? The groove wasn't quite there. It just didn't sound serious uh-huh. to to Warren and I. And Jackson kept saying, "Yeah, that's a good one." And we're going, "No, that's not it. It just sounds cute. It sounds funny. It wasn't menacing it enough. Can't be. It <laughs> right. has to be." real it has to be solid mm-hmm. for the joke to work or we ain't gonna do it fuck it we ain't gonna do it and i think it was jorge calderon looked at me and said what about mick fleetwood and john McVeigh?" yeah because we knew them because of stevie Lindsay. yeah and i went oh man those guys play heavy so i called mick and said would you consider coming to work with warren and jackson and myself and went and it was like this mutual admiration they went you guys want us to come play with you? I went, yeah. Was, oh man, we're honored. I went, honored? Hey man, we're honored. Uh, yeah, so, you guys. Uh, yeah. What time can you be here? Yeah. How about like six o'clock tonight? I said, that's fantastic. So they came at six. We played till six in the morning. Uh-huh. All night long, bashing it out. Whereas when we started, take one went by, take two went by. Jackson said to me, why? Take two sounded pretty good. You want to hear it? I went, yeah. And Mick goes, ah, nah, 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 let's keep going. Keep going, man. Went, oh, okay. Yeah. This is Fleetwood Mac. I'm not going to. Yeah. 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 Sure. We'll keep going. It's, now it's four in the morning, five in the morning. You know, take 60. <laughs> I'm going, mm, not quite. And I finally looked at Jackson. I went, take two was good, right? Said, yeah. You want to hear it? I went, yeah. Because uh, during, during the night, Mick had said to me, I said, I think we're done. He goes, we're never done, Wally. Oh, really? We're never done? Just, All right. Let's keep uh, going. Yeah. Fine. <laughs> so we went into here, take two. I looked at, at Mick. I went, we're done, Mick. That's it. Take two is it. And so we had our track. And it's. You did. Yep. You it's, yep. It yep. played so great. Yep. Yeah. Heavy as can be. John McVie is playing this amazing stuff all over it. Yep. And, wonderful and yeah it's crazy that it, and it is it's lightning in the bottle sort of thing and, and the, you know the, the line i speak of though yeah yeah all through it warren is going don't have the last line don't have the last line yet need the last line need the last line going, what we got all these lines but it's done not done okay it's not done okay and i was on the road with linda and i get this call from Warren. I got it. You got what? I got the last line. What is it? Trader Vicks. You know. Yeah. Hair was perfect. Yeah. His hair was perfect. And he said it to me, and I went, that's it. That's <laughs> it. Well, fantastic. Oh, no, it does. Because you just, you're constantly going, what does that mean exactly? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. It, it just constantly, const, const, you grab it and you go, 
I'm, I, you know, it's it, it's like a Dylan lyric, you know. What, he's like trying to say about five different things here, right? You know, it's just so great. It's just so nebulous and great. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, that yeah. was it. So we yeah. came back. We sang the last line. Yeah, yeah. It was it. And we, he and I both were. That song to us was like, and thank God that song existed because that's the one that has given us our lives, really. Mm-hmm. But he and I were. We were almost like offended when the record company picked that as the single. We went, what? what? <laughs> you gotta yeah. be kidding me. What, Warriors, Guns, and Tenderness on the block? Yeah. Is yeah. it the best song you've ever heard? And that record of that isn't the most exquisite thing? Yeah. I mean, we're so proud of that one, especially. I mean, yeah. all of them, Johnny Strikes Up the Band. But Tenderness was just like mind-blowingly gorgeous to me. It still is. It was then. It still is. I I love everything about that. And so does so does Yvonne. Yeah. And yeah. werewolves. <laughs> yeah. Huh? You've got to be kidding. And it's the only hit we ever had. It's the only hit he ever had. No, not like that. Yeah. Any kind of giant hit. Well, it's the uh, only chart, only charted yeah, record. Yeah. Tr- that's, that's right. It is his only charted record, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah. I mean, single wise. Yeah. You know, we put out others, but. It's almost, that's so almost a call famous. out for every bar band in the world now. Uh, it, you know, they were, they were so that right. and Freebird, you know, <laughs> yeah, that's right, that's right. they were so right. And we were so wrong. Thank God. we were. Yeah. 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 Great story. Great story. So Mick Fleetwood, John McVie, part of Fleetwood Mac. And in 73, you got hooked up with uh, what seems to be uh, the beginning of a long, long relationship for you. You played on actually uh, Buckingham Knicks, yeah. which is a record that doesn't really go anywhere except to present, you know, Stevie Nicks and and Lindsey Buckingham, and right. then ends up in Fleetwood Mac. Yeah. So, so how did you, you know, what was it like working with them for the first time? I mean, you know, let's face it, uh, you know, Lindsey is, you know, an extraordinary guitar player in his own right, right? Mm. Yeah. The reason, the reason I, I got called to do it, aside from we were probably a musical match anyway, but mm-hmm. Keith Olsen was producing me, working with me in the studio on my demos. And Keith said to me, I'm bringing this couple down from up north and I, you have to play with them. They're, they're great. He says they're great singers. They're really good writers. He's a really good guitar player, but he doesn't know how to play with anybody. He does everything by himself. He doesn't know <coughs> how to how to get along with it. anybody else on guitar. So you're it. You need to be the guy. And uh, so they came down. And we all met. We all loved each other right away. And and Stevie, what blew my mind about her when I moved to L.A. I believe the first Friday night I lived in Los Angeles on TV was a show called the Porter Wagner Show. Porter Wagner. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Dolly and, Partner. Yeah. Featuring Dolly. Mm-hmm. And. And I'm fresh out of New York. Okay, I'm looking at these country people, going, "I've never seen anything like that." What the with hell? With their their nudie suits and uh, all his, his the giant hair. His hair was bad enough, but then when he introduced, when she walked out, I was like hysterically laughing. You know, this woman with this beehive and these big bazooms, and she's about this tall. And, yeah, little tiny thing. Yeah. But the second she sang, oh yeah, I melted i started crying i was so hypnotized and in love with her as i still am mm. she's the most phenomenal piece of gear on this planet except maybe for brian wilson i think mm-hmm. she is unbelievable and the fir- just the first word out of her mouth singing 
I've melted and, and my whole life changed. And I bought her records and I clung to this record called Coat of Many Colors, this album. Yeah. And when I met Stevie and I heard her singing, I went, oh my God, here's another one. She's got <laughs> that kind of voice. But, but and, and, I, and I brought her Dolly's album. I said, you've got to listen to this girl. I think like the second day I met her, I said, you've got to listen to this girl. You're going to really like her. Uh, you're going to learn some things from her. That you're, There's some things you're doing that I don't think you should be doing sing-wise, but you'll see what I mean. And she loved it. We went, As a matter of fact, we made our living for a while, Lindsay, Stevie, and I, and Jorge Calderon playing acoustically. Uh, and we would do, she would do Coat of Many Colors. We would do My Blue Tear. We would do a couple of Dolly songs in our show. Mm-hmm. And she could sing the hell out of it because Stevie's got that caliber of a voice. Yeah. Incredible voice. Mm-hmm. And pitch like that. Her pitch is astounding. And just like Dolly. So so we all got on very well. Um, and so we made the record, yeah. The Buckingham Knicks, and it didn't go anywhere. Yeah. And my single at the same time didn't go anywhere. And, <laughs> and the, the, the five of us, those two, or is it four? Yeah, four. Stevie, Lindsay, Keith, and I, we all took our advance money and we went to Hawaii for a couple of days and spent our little advances. Nice. And then, uh, came back and then I was out with the Evs and then I started working with Linda and then I came home one day and I got this call from Lindsay saying, uh, I got a strange phone call uh, from Fleetwood Mac, from Mick Fleetwood, wants us to join Fleetwood Mac. I went, and what are you talking to me for? <laughs> he goes, what? I said, you're on the wrong phone call, man. Yeah. Call, call Mick. <laughs> I said, tell them the only mistake they're making is that they didn't want me also. <laughs> but, but call him right now and say, yes. Are you kidding? That's mm. your shot, man. This is it. That's your fucking shot. He goes, no, but I want to do our thing, man. I want to do. I said, but that's how you're going to do your thing. You got to be kidding me. That's your shot, Lindsay. Call yeah. him. And so thankfully he did. And they, that was their shot. Well, you're, you helped push that along. That's yeah. uh, and uh, you know, yeah. I mean, you know, can you imagine a world without Fleetwood Mac? I, I don't know. Uh, you know, the, the Stevie, the Stevie uh, Lindsay era Fleetwood Mac. I mean, you know, Peter Green and all that uh, you know, deserves, Green. deserves their, their oh, kudos as well. That was some badass stuff. That was. Yeah. 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 Very interesting uh, act. Uh, those guys, yeah. but uh, you know, it's funny. You, you, you do, you, you work with a lot of the greatest women rockers of, uh, the era. Uh, Linda Ronstadt, you mentioned, uh, you know, obviously Stevie, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. Carol King, Kim Carnes, Carla Barnoff, Bonnie Raitt, Melissa Etheridge, and you actually got to play on a record with Dolly Parton as well. I did. I did. So, what, what, is it, what is it about the, 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 the girls that uh, go, I got to have Waddy on this thing? <laughs> you got to ask them. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I can play a melody. That's all I can tell you. I'm, I'm good at uh, playing a melody in tune. That that is a good counterpoint to a, a vocal. And mm-hmm. it just happened to be women that I was fortunate enough to work for. Yeah. Uh, you know, and yeah. so he told me. You know, but yeah. I, I, mean, I worked for a lot of dudes too, but. You, you have, know, was, no, you them, have, but you know. it's weird. I look at your CV and I just go, man, look at, look at all. And, and these are the greats of the greats, you know? And yeah, I mean, look, we we talked about Warren, uh, you know, uh, James Taylor and, uh, and many others that we'll, we'll talk about uh, uh, in a bit, but 
but it's it is all you know the, those those women who ruled those charts uh you know yeah. were you're, you're you're the guitar player and of course you know that brings me to 1981 stevie goes and decides that uh, she's going to do a solo record yeah. uh called belladonna uh yeah. and uh she calls you and says you're the guitar guy yeah yeah it was great. It was wonderful. I mean, we hadn't seen. I saw her once, in in between. Uh, yeah, she. Uh, we double dated one night, my girlfriend and I, and my my brother, who I call my brother JD Souther, was dating Stevie at the time, mm -hmm. and I hadn't seen her in years, and there she is, smoking cigarettes, and I'm going, whoa, that's different. The girl I met didn't smoke any cigarettes. Oh Did really? Not, didn't drink. Didn't smoke no cigarette. And there was Stevie smoking ciggies, having a drink. I'm going, whoa, okay. Times have changed. Yeah, I, I'm the same, but she's a little different now. And then, <laughs> I, and then she, then they called me to play on her record, and it was one of the best blessings of my life. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I have to ask, you know, and I'm sure you've told this story a gazillion times, but it is just so iconic, and that's Edge of Seventeen. How did that song come about? Stevie a lot of times will write to a, she'll hear a record and it will spark an idea in her head. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, she tells the story about Little Red Corvette. When she heard Little Red Corvette, Prince. she wrote Stand Back. Mm -hmm. She heard it in there. Mm -hmm. So she would lower the record enough to not hear the voice and just hear the band. And she'd write her song to that background. And mm -hmm. Little Red Corvette is the basis of Stand Back. Mm -hmm. So it's not unlike, um, I don't, I can't remember the name of the song, so I, and I should know it by now. But on the Felice's first album, uh, there's a song that has that but it's done with echo chamber. It's done with a like an echo place. So Andy yeah. Summers is yeah, yeah. is using it with an echo, but it's that okay. same yeah. that bass drum and the hi hats and that echoplex doing that and she wrote this amazing thing having nothing to do with sting's song but she took that feel and wrote her song to it so when we're and then she worked it up with benmont benmont tench is largely responsible for a lot of the greatness of that first album he spent a lot of time in pre-production with, with stevie and the girls and jimmy I mean, they yeah. all worked so hard on it beautiful yeah yeah russ and i show up to the date uh, and Bob Glob, it's like our third session that day, you know what I mean? And it's like, oh my God. Hi, honey. Breakfast, breakfast lunch, dinner. Yeah. Right. It's great to see you, Steve. I haven't seen you in so long. And what are we doing? And we did something else. And then that one came up. And and I heard it and I went, and Jimmy said, so can you, you get that effect going, you know, with something like that, with that echo? And I went, no, I'm not doing that. He goes, what? I said, no, I'm just going to play that. Hmm. What do you mean, play it? I said, I'm just going to go dig it, dig it, dig it, dig it, dig it, like that. I'll show you. And I went to the last, my, I had a Marshall amp then. And I said, I'm just going to do it like this. And he goes, Ooh, that's good. That's good. So we went, and that's how we did it. You know, and next thing you know, it's Edge of 17. It's iconic. You, you, you have to hear that and you know what you're getting into uh, yeah, right away. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's been used. Uh, uh, effectively in, in many films. Uh, it's funny, I, I think it, that in that in Werewolves are your biggest credits when you look at are. your film credits. They are, for sure. And it was funny because the Destiny's Child uh, did uh, Bootylicious, that song. Remember this song, Bootylicious? It's, it's Edge. It's got 
it starts off with my guitar. Oh, oh, is it a sample? So the sample? Yeah, 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 yeah. And and it, and so because I remember we were in New York one day to go do the Letterman show, and we're at Rockefeller Center, and somebody comes running up to me and says, "Why, Destiny's Child really wants to meet you?" And I went, <laughs> "That's the strangest sentence I've ever heard in my life." Beyonce wants to well, meet me. <laughs> why would, it was not not even Beyonce. We didn't yeah. know that name. We knew. Yeah, it yeah. yeah, it was before her. Yeah, before her solo. I said, "Why yeah. was?" These three beautiful black girls want to meet me. <laughs> and they went, don't you know? I went, know what? Bootylicious? I went, I don't know what you're talking about. They said, it's it's what you played on Edge of 17. I went, what? <laughs> oh, wow, it is? Okay, cool. So I didn't, I never met him actually. But, uh, oh, that's too bad. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so it was, it was quite a thrill. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, with each of the guys in the immediate family, I, I, I you know, the, your your guys' CVs are so long. I can't pick everybody out to talk to, and I and there's a lot of overlap. So I, I tried to split some. I mean, the the big ones, you know, Linda just comes up over and over and over again. Um, but you know, um, Andrew Gold is is somebody that I think needs a little bit more recognition. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I talked to Danny about Harry Nilsson. I know he's getting a bit of a comeback these days, which is great to see i think there's a biopic that's being looked at uh, now is there oh good yeah and things like that but you know andrew <clears throat> andrew's a guy he's he, he's kind of a session guy like you guys right and then he comes and and comes up with a couple of hits on his own yeah yeah and andrew so you was, played yeah andrew was the guitar player for linda before i got there mm -hmm. you know and he's the one who did you're no good um mm -hmm. that's all andrew yeah, yeah. And then, but you played on uh, Thanks for Being a Friend and Lonely Boy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Lonely Boy, it's a funny story. Lonely Boy, we were on the road with Linda, and Andrew was the opening act for Linda. So we had this set of his we would do. And, but then we, we got done with Soundcheck one day, and, and he goes, hey, guys, me and Kenny, Kenny Edwards, he says, I want you to, I got to play you something. I got a new song. And he goes, he plays us this ballad. I was born Ballad, 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 ballad. Plays the whole oh, lonely boy. Oh, really slow, oh, oh, slow tempo. Okay. Yeah. Uh -huh. And I'm uh -huh. looking at him, and I'm looking at Kenny, and Kenny and I look at each other, and finally we went, You ever think of doing it fast? He goes, What? He said, Make it a fast song. No, 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 it's got to be. I said, no, <laughs> try it. Try it, man. Da, 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 ba, ba. He goes, oh, wow. So we worked it up and we did it in his set on the road. And then when we came back to town, we went right in the studio with the, with the road band and cut it. Like, yeah. you know, instantly live. It's all live. You know? mm -hmm. That was Peter's thing about the studio, too. Everything was live all the time. Trying to do it, trying to capture it live. Well, well, you, know, you would go for it. You know, Lindy's yeah. vocals were live. Lou Bayou vocal was live. You know, no, no going in and fixing. That's yeah. It. Oh, I can't imagine that. Uh, the Lonely Boy came out of, you know, came out of Andrew and then uh, we said, make it a fast song. Mm -hmm. And it worked. <laughs> it really worked. And thank you for being a friend. It was, it was good too. That song, that song just, Died a horrible death, you know, until this, uh, the Golden Girls. Uh, until this AD one day found it in the stack of records and went, Hey, how about this one? You know, 
yeah, it becomes a theme. Okay. For yeah, it becomes a millionaire. <laughs> yeah. 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 I know he's uh, dearly departed uh, as well is, these days. So. A doll. <laughs> All right. So guitars, primarily a 1960 Les Paul uh, with a, a big speed tremolo uh, on it. Uh, yeah. and a 1967 Strat. Um, 57. I'm sorry, 1957 Strat. You're right. Um, my glasses got a little bit. So, uh, and, uh, but, uh, you, you've had the, the, I, I don't think you take the, the Les Paul with you out on the road anymore. You, no, it's you, not allowed to leave the house anymore. But, but last a couple of years ago, Gibson made a Wadi Wachtel Gibson, Les Paul. They did right. a, a copy of it. Yeah, I, so you can you can go and buy one, uh, uh, yeah, a, a reproduction. Really, yeah, really good. Yeah. I have, I have yeah. several of them here. Yeah, yeah. I and I I I understand that uh, you prefer the '60s Les Pauls over the '50s because of the neck, and that it's really yeah. all about that. And I totally understand that. I have a I have a, a '61 a gold top, and I hated Les Pauls until I picked that thing up and was like, oh. Yeah, well, this feels great. A, okay, and it has, it has that neck. thin neck. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and that's that's a big thing for you, right? Yeah, I have small hands, first of all. So, um, yeah. but just that feeling. I mean, it's it's invisible in your hand, especially that guitar. It, it's a it's a magical instrument. I mean, it literally is so playable. And it was funny one day we were in the studio. <laughs> Keith Richards says to me. What do you lug that less fall around? Why do you play that thing all that? That's so heavy. I and mean, I said, You ever played that one? No. I said, Play that guitar. And he put his hand around it and he goes, Oh man, what's that? I said, That's the whole deal right there. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. invisible in your hand. It's just so wants to play music. It just wants to mm -hmm. produce for you. It's beautiful. So do you only use vintage uh, guitars or what are now called vintage guitars? Um, not really, no. I, mean, I have a telly there that's relatively new. And, uh, it is. Only because my vintage one was stolen. But mm -hmm. um, no, I'll play anything if, if it feels good. Okay. You know, it's just, but <clears throat> you put it in your hand and you know right away whether it works or not. Yeah, but I, I wind up, I don't bring new guitars with me to sessions. Yeah. You know, I'll bring a new acoustic with me maybe if I believe that it's, Got a, a, an attractive sound. Good town. Other Good than, town. Right. than the J200s, but mm -hmm. um, with the electrics, I'll bring my <clears throat> my boys. You know, mm -hmm. Telly, Les Paul, a couple of Les Pauls, because they, they're all different. And uh, my Strat, two Strats I have that are both magic. And uh, like that, you know, slides. My, yeah. my, and my white Les Paul that I, I was telling you about that I replaced the Sunburst with is like I call it the loudest Les Paul in the world because for years I didn't even know it had a, it's got a little amp in it. It's got a, little yeah, it's got a preamp in it. Uh, I don't know. I always tell people. You just I, thought this is a badass guitar. <laughs> I know. I know how to play this. I know what I know what to do with them. Yeah. I don't know how to do anything for them. I don't, to, <laughs> I don't know how to fix them. I don't know how to tune them. I don't know how to set a bridge. I don't know how to look at a neck and tell you it's it's even, but I can tell you if it plays good. Oh, good. I feel good because, uh, yeah, I could, I could barely tell you the names of the guitars, but yeah, right. uh, you know, <laughs> that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, um, you know, you mentioned a little bit earlier that you, you learned a lot of Beatles, uh, songs early on. What, you know, what, so Beatles or stones, cause that's going to get oh, us well, into well, it. Like I said, I, I said that in terms of, uh, 
we were talking about something else. I, said, yeah. I, I, I didn't learn all of their songs like I did Beatles songs, but yeah. I learned every song. Any song I liked, I learned. You just you uh, learned it, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and Stones, Beatles, Beach Boys, any song, you know. And yeah. you know, it, started, it started back when I was a kid with Everly Brothers. Mm-hmm. I had to learn it. I just had to learn it. I had to be able to sing those songs. Yeah. And when I got the guitar in my hand, I had to be able to play them. I wanted to know. And it's funny, when I, we were on the road with the Everly's, one night sitting on the floor with Don Everly. And I said, all right, Donald, I got to ask you something. I've been playing guitar my whole life. I don't understand the intro to Bye Bye Love. That intro, you know how that goes? Can you hear it in your head? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. Hear it? Um, can you hum it? Oh, here, play it. Yeah, well, let me tune this thing for a second. But, uh, because it's this, it's just this phenomenal. It goes like this. It should be capoed up, but it goes like this. Okay, so it goes. Oh, yeah. And so on, okay? Yeah. So, but I, I never played in tunings. I, I didn't know anything about tunings. I didn't know anything. You know, I just knew how to play electric guitar. I hardly had acoustics. I said, what is that? What, <laughs> who is that? What is that? How did that, ha- what is that sound? And Donald just, he goes, oh, it's, it's just this tuning boat diddly showed me. I went, oh, wait a minute. Yeah, I need to know oh, more. Yeah. You know boat diddly, you know. Like, <laughs> what? And he put it in that tuning and he did it. I went, oh my God, it's you, isn't it? There it is. He goes, oh, oh, so he did it. He goes, yeah. of course it's me. Who do you think it is? I said, well, I told you, I don't know who it is. He says, of course it's me. And Donald is a great rhythm player, as you can tell. That's what he came up with. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. But yeah. so so learning tunes is my life. That's what I've done yeah. forever. I, I've always, you know, from Beach Boys to blues to, you know, the simplest song in the world, the Burt Backrack tunes. I gotta learn them. I gotta figure out what it is. Beach boy tunes. Mm-hmm. How it works. So it's it's like it's like the 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 mechanic with the car, you know, you 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 got to yeah. get under the hood yeah. And, yeah. And, and pull the engine apart and kind of oh this is how it all works. All right, let's put it back together. All right, yeah. uh, now it runs better. Okay, that's sort of thing. Got it, got it. All right, so you mentioned Keith several times. So uh, the expensive winos, um, you know, I I think you produced uh, all of his solo albums. No, no, I co-produced the second one. The I, got a, okay. I got a production production consultant credit on the first one. Yeah, and yeah. the three of us, Steve and Steve and Keith and I, did this, the second one. Yeah, yeah. So uh, how 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 does one get chosen to play guitar with uh, with Keith uh, the first time? Keith uh, called me. Uh, a lawyer called my house and said uh, I'd met him. I'd met him years ago when I was mm-hmm. on the road with Linda. And we really liked each other. Spent a bunch of days together. Yeah. yeah. And then I saw him another time when he came into LA, and you know we spent time together and everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, I, in fact, Linda had done Tumbling Dice, and yeah, I think yeah. you play guitar on that uh, version. Oh, yeah. Her version. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. But uh, so I got a call one day at my house, and uh, this lawyer said, uh, "Hi, uh, Woody. I'm such and such, and uh, I and I represent Keith Richards, and uh, he's trying to find you." I said. Oh, he is? So, well, you found me. Why don't you give him my phone number? You know? He goes, oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. Well, he says, he's at uh, Larrabee Studios. Do you know of it? I said, yeah, of course, yeah. He says, he asked, would you give him a call there, please? 
he wants to talk to you about something. I said, okay, sure. Hello, hello, Keith, please. Why? Hey, man, how are you? <laughs> I'm great, man. Listen, I'm putting a band together and you're in it. <laughs> what? Okay. Said, you're the other guitar. But okay, I'm ready. Yeah. <laughs> he yeah. said, what are you doing? Are you busy? I said, no. He says, come on down to the studio. So I went down, saw him and Steve and Taylor Hackford. And, uh, they were working on the Chuck Berry movie. That's what they were doing. Yeah. Um, so, but that was it. That was my, uh, that was my, it wasn't like the Everly Brothers audition. Uh, I was told by Keith I was the other guitar player. So, so you're, you're there uh, when they're, um, they're making Hail, Hail uh, Rock and Roll. No, no, I didn't know. I, that, I was just in the studio when they were mixing it. Oh, when they were mixing. Oh, so yeah, they had already done the, yeah, done the, the, uh, the pieces. Okay. Okay. The live so, show. Yeah, I was I was trying to remember if you were. Yeah, I couldn't. No. you know, you know the famous scene where where Chuck looks at uh, at, at Keith and says, "Get out of here!" But right. you weren't there for that. No, <laughs> no. no. But uh, but you did get to play on uh, on the solo records and go out on on tour as the oh yeah, well, one was, of the expensive lineups. Yeah, yeah, well, we were we were the band. I mean, that yeah. was it. I came to New York. I heard "Take It So Hard." Mm -hmm. I did. I said, okay, I know what to do on this song. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, we went to, went up to Montreal, cut the first album. We spent time finishing it in New York. I went in and spent a lot of time with Stephen Keats, finishing mm -hmm. the record. Mm -hmm. And we went and toured. Greatest rock and roll band. Amazing band. Yeah. I yeah I, I I'm sorry I missed that um, uh, oh, you know I could I could have had a, a chance to see you guys and I I decided not to for one reason or another I think there was a girl involved if I remember right but uh, that bitch <laughs> exactly exactly uh, but uh, uh, and I think you actually even get to play on a Stones song from Bridges to Babylon the whole album. Yeah. Oh, so you are you're you're playing on that on that whole album. So you're you're actually part of the Stones as well. And I think you have your own band uh, with Bernard Fowler uh, as vocalist, right? Well, that's our, our, our we had a yeah we had a rock and roll band going for a long time. Yeah. Monday, you know, weekly rock and roll thing we were doing. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, uh, Jim Keltner and I were there every night with the Stones for months, about two months probably. Working on bridges to Babylon. Yeah, working on bridges. Yeah, it was totally un unbelievable to be yeah to be included and to be part of it, and it's just great. Yeah, to be on a Stones album. I mean, yeah. that's that you know, five hundred years from now, people will still be looking at those albums. Guaranteed. And what, what was yes, yeah, and what was amazing was Warren. Like I said, he and I used to argue about all kinds of stuff in music, but we always agreed on the Stones. So, oh. Really? When I told him that I was on the Stones album, he just—he was so proud of me and just so happy. And we just could neither one of us could get over it. I still can't believe it happened. You know? Yeah, you know, I, I I did get the pleasure of seeing them uh, uh, last year with the the most recent tour, and they're still as fucking great as they have yeah. ever been. Uh, I, there's a story I, I tell people uh, that uh, you know the first time I saw the Stones was 1978, uh, and I was forced into it. I'm like, I don't want to go see those old guys, you know, and, uh, you know, I kind of got forced into it. And, uh, and this has happened every single time I get told, Oh, you got to go see the stones. I'm like, uh, they're old. I don't want to go see them. And I leave going greatest rock and roll band in the world. Yeah. Still just sure. amazing. Still absolutely amazing. So yeah. I can't imagine playing 
guitar with Keith Richards next to you. Uh, you know, I mean, that's a Wadi, you, you're, you're, you're a hero. <laughs> Keith's a, Keith's a God, you know, uh, in the, in the world of rock and roll, uh, out there. Uh, so, but you know, and you're in your own band with him, uh, the, the expensive wine. So any, any chance of that happening again? I don't know. You never know. Yeah. You never I, know. I think it'd be docile now, but you never know. Yeah, uh, I don't know, but you know, so going from that band into our band now, that's it's it's incredible that someone could have the the lives that we've had and, and wind up playing in a band that's you know you, you can't find a better rhythm section than Russell and Lee right now. <laughs> no, I can't. And, and I have been playing guitars together forever, and yeah. Steve Tell, knows just what to do to fit in between the two of us arguing warriors mm -hmm. and uh, and steve's got a great high voice and a beautiful singer and uh the band is it's it's a thrill it's yeah a uh as danny has said uh you know you guys are a cover band that plays originals yes we uh are. and that's pretty amazing um yeah. so let's talk about the upcoming rock documentary on the super group the immediate yeah. family um, you know, so how, how did the movie, I mean, you guys have been, uh, well, first of all, just to get our diggers to, to, to the quick history, you know, the section itself was a band. They had three albums out, uh, you know, a, a mostly kind of a jazz fusion type, yeah. type of thing. Yeah. Uh, but then of course they played with you and, uh, 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 across the board with all, all of these, uh, amazing artists, uh, uh, and, uh, and you know, when was the first time you guys came together and said, "Yeah, let's let's make this a a band." Uh, well, you know, it's, it's our funny. thing. The section, uh, Dan, they they thought maybe uh, I should join them at one point. And Danny, I think Danny said, "Oh, back in the seventies? Yeah, I think he said, mm -hmm. "I think we should have Wadi play with us." You know, mm -hmm. and they so I went and sat in with them, and we rehearsed. You know, played a couple of these tunes, but like you said, they were like these jazzy kind of instrumental things, and. I mean, I grew up playing jazz. I mean, that's what I thought I was going to do. Mm -hmm. I, I realized that wasn't going to be my road. And um, so so we played a couple of songs, and I said, you know, guys, I love you guys, and I don't know anybody in this town that's played more hit records than you have, but you want to do this kind of stuff. And this ain't me. I said, but so if you ever decide that you want to do vocals, and write songs that are, you know, singable and more rock and roll, let me know. So we didn't even realize that. And then we were all in the studio doing Danny's solo album for Japan. And there we are. And at, at the end, when we got it done, Danny goes, well, now you gotta, I can't do this without you guys now. Who's gonna play this stuff? We gotta make this a band. And we all said, yeah, okay, let's yeah. do it. You know, why not? Let's be that band we've always thought about being. So mm -hmm. we're finally 40 years later, we are that band now. Mm -hmm. So how, who approached you with the documentary to make uh, Denny, on this? Denny, Denny, Tedesco. Denny Tedesco, who's uh, Danny, yeah. He wanted to do it about the section. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but Danny said, well, the section and, and about our band. Yeah. But he said, well, the section really applies to more of all the guys that we worked with. You know, the mm -hmm. section isn't about just that little four piece jazz band. It's about, Leland and Russell and Bob Glob and Jim Keltner and Jim Gordon and, and Stu Perry and, and, and all these amazing musicians, David Lindley, all these guys that we've done records with, David Page, all the guys from Toto, 
We've done individual sessions with them for years. Everybody, we were all a section. We were the next wrecking crew, all these people. So it was, we, we took it like that. And, mm-hmm. But it's basically about us, the four of us, what we did and all the guys we worked with, and then bringing it into today's reality and the five-piece band that we are now. But Denny approached Danny about it. That's how it came about. Mm-hmm. And for Denny Tedesco to be the one with the idea to do a documentary after he did such a beautiful documentary. Oh, great on, job with the wrecking crew. So we're, yeah. we're beyond thrilled. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it just, again, you know, you, you guys kind of took over for the wrecking crew uh, in the 70s, uh, yeah. you know, along with that you mentioned, uh, you know, the Toto guys, LA Express and, and a few others uh, that were were out there. Yeah, and, Scott, uh, yeah. Yeah. And then, um, you know, to have Denny who did, you know, gave the light, shine the light finally on all those great players from the 60s yeah. of the Wrecking Crew makes sense for for him to do uh, this next generation. So, you know, what I might ask is, you know, you know, like I said, you guys took over the Wrecking Crew in the 70s along with some of the others. Um, and then there are, you know, there are these other groups, similar, you know, the Swampers, the Funk Brothers, Booker T and the MGs. Why are there no more bands like that these days uh, i don't know uh you know synthesizers had a lot to do with changing it yeah, yeah. changing it you, know, you don't need i mean if you're yeah, drum machines as well i would assume yeah well that's synthesizers too you know yeah. yeah so it became a whole different thing there is engineer i found out there's engineers that you know working in, in music studios they never might a set of drums you know wouldn't know how to put microphones on a set of drums <laughs> They just never had to do it. Yeah. You know, we came up through the real thing. Mm-hmm. So, but I, I hope people are still playing instruments and dedicating their souls to it. And I'm sure there are. Mm-hmm. But that's why I was saying I don't think. Yeah, it's a calling. I mean, it it is a calling. So yeah. you know, you know, as uh, as I've gone through and done, uh, you know, many of these uh, discussions, there's one thing that keeps coming up uh, with the successful players like yourselves, and that is there was no Plan B. I I wouldn't know what to do with myself if I wasn't right. playing guitar. Yeah, there's no Plan B. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I'm sure you felt the same way, right? Yeah, that, that that's that's it, it was it this this or it. <laughs> this is so, it. Yeah, this is it. I never did. Yeah. Anything. I never. Yeah. I, and if I did, I certainly wasn't good at it. Mm. I just think I think music was suffering is suffering from this, uh, you know, lack of, um, uh, I, you know, authenticity is a bad word for it. It's just without getting people working together, you know, it, it, it's like a group think, you know, that yeah. that we have with musicians. When 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 you get qualified quality players together, you, you know, it's almost a, a sixth sense sort of yeah, thing that's going it. on and you're not you're not going to replace that with machines they're no. they just aren't you know they're going to do it perfect they'll do it they'll do it exact right but it's actually you know it's the mistakes Lacking. that uh, that cool. are actually the cool well, things the human, the human element yeah 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 the muse that, the muse is in between the notes you know you uh you can't program that in yeah and you can't program that in and uh so it's really great to see you guys still out there uh you know if it wasn't for covid uh you know i'm sure you know you you guys would be out doing your thing oh yeah we would and, have been Right yeah. yeah and uh you know so I, I know the movie's a little bit on hold um yeah. uh because there are there's still you guys were in production uh when when uh, we all yeah. got shut down 
Um, but uh, has that pushed the release date back or, you know, or, or, or and now that you're starting to open up and you guys are, you know, going to play live here in a couple of weeks. Uh, We're going to play it to an empty club. Yeah. To, but, but still, I mean, you know, there's yeah. something, you know, so is it, was that going to be filmed and part of the, of the movie? Uh, I don't know about that. I mean, we're gonna, it's gonna go out. It's gonna be streamed, so we'll have the footage from it. Mm -hmm. I don't know if any of it will go in the movie though. So uh, that's up to Denny. I don't know. All right. So last question. You know, you you've worked in this crazy business since the heydays of the 1970s through today. You've seen lots of changes. So let's make Wadi Wachtel king of the music business after yeah. all of this. Yeah. After yeah. all of this is over, what yeah. would you all rebuild? Right. And what would you bring back and that may have been lost in time? And, and what would you trash immediately? First big all, question. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big question. I'd leave the King to BB and Albert. Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know. But I don't know. And Freddie and Freddie. <laughs> and Freddie. Absolutely. Absolutely. I didn't mean nothing. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what I would, you know, quite honestly, I don't know if I would change one thing because if one thing were changed, who knows what would have happened. So, um, oh, the butterfly effect. Yeah, you know, I, I really, I would like to say, too bad synthesizers came along, but without that, we wouldn't have uh, Pro Tools, we wouldn't have Digital Performer, we wouldn't be able to emulate the sound of an entire sixty-piece orchestra, and beautifully, you know, yeah. we wouldn't have everything we have. So I, I don't know what I would change. I would just say, I hope people want to write good songs that, yeah. you know, I look back to when I was growing up and then from then into the Liverpool explosion and mm. the amount of amazing output from everybody. And everybody was trying to write the best song they could and make the best record of it and just do it and then do another one and do another one and and that seems to have gone away a little although that's what people are still doing but the songwriting thing has to me is it's it's changed a bit uh it's more consumable uh it's not what rudy shram was teaching me you know right there was a form that you stuck with and that's what Beatles did, and that's what Stones did, and but and what but it's funny because with Keith, when we got to uh, Winos, he wanted to specifically not write the melodies that way. He wanted to make them a little more abstract, but abstract is different than the blatant kind of repetition we have now. And believe me, repetition is so very important in music. Oh yeah. But, but today, you get a lot of songs. You're lucky to get three notes, and then that's all you get. And that's the same fucking, pardon me, <laughs> same three notes, you know, and uh, I'm not naming any names, but there's a lot of songwriters out there that don't adhere to the Tin Pan Alley, write me a great song, you know. Real building, yeah, type stuff, you know, yeah. For, I'll just yeah. say this. There was a movie I worked on, a small film that never really got anywhere, but when you're working on films, they have what's called a temp score. And that's when they're putting their movie together. They're putting in the kind of music they want to hear. Yeah. So, and then when they give it to the composer, you have an idea of what they want. Oh, I see. You do that kind of thing. So this movie and the main title, that's the main song of a movie, okay? Mm -hmm. For example, 
and Pinocchio, When You Wish Upon a Star is the main title. Okay. Right. So this movie I worked on, the main title for the temp, they had When You Wish Upon a Star, one of the most amazing songs they ever written. Yeah, and they go, Mozart, yeah. Oh, we want something like this. I went, oh, really? Uh, the Mozart stuff? guy, you know, he wrote that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whip something like that away. <laughs> yeah, no yeah. Problem. yeah, yeah, yeah. No problem. So I just, I, I wish. Simple and timeless. You got it. You got this. Simple and timeless. I want, I, yeah, we want to keep writing songs from that point of view. Yeah, yeah. You know? and, and that's that, what the immediate family does. Right. That's what I mean. We, the immediate family. Yeah. yeah. We've come up with a lot of. I think you're going to love the new record. Um, mm. The new songs. We're we're very happy with what we came up with. Yeah, and, Cruel Twist is fun. Uh, it's uh, that's and, really fun. Twist is from Danny's solo album. That's, yeah. You'll see the, the the new album is a little. It's beyond. It's going beyond. But Cruel Twist, we still do it because it's a oh. great shuffle and a great tune. But we've got new stuff that I can't wait for everyone to hear. Oh, so well, we're yeah. really. Really excited to uh, to get a taste of that when it uh, when it arrives here. Wadi Wachtel, so awesome having you on Deeper Digs with us today. Thanks so much, my pleasure to be here. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I love L.A. I know, I know. I know a whole bunch of you turned your noses up at that one. Uh, yeah, but I hear you. But I was born there, and I love the song, even if I left decades ago. Uh, and you can even give me shit that Wadi only plays rhythm guitar on the track, and that is Lukather on the lead. I don't care. I wanted to play it. So that is my holiday present to myself. Uh, regardless... Wadi is on guitar there, so please, let's hear it for Mr. Wadi Wachtel, a man who has been all over my musical memories, and I, I bet yours as well. Do make sure you check out the amazing talent that is the immediate family. Uh, find them on Facebook uh, and check out the recently released EP, uh, I've been told soon to be a full album in 2021, called Slippin' and Slidin'. Okay, I just, I just want to say a big... End of the year, thank you, uh, diggers, uh, you archaeologists, um, all the people that, that work with uh, with me, the, the Pantheon Pod fam. We've had another big year, and, and it's looking like 2021 is really going to be great around here. We couldn't have done it without all of you, and I certainly hope we've given you all presents throughout the entire year. I know it's been a difficult one um, for so many, and I sincerely hope that we are at the nadir of all of this. Um, you know, like the days now getting longer after the winter solstice, uh, we, we should be getting more light uh, every day. Uh, stay safe, be kind to one another, and realize with music in your head, there is always a joy and happiness for all mankind. Uh, I'm not sure what I have next um, coming up. Um, so like a good present, I'll, I'll, I'll keep that a surprise. But I'll leave you with, uh, with another track uh, Wadi played on uh, for now. So happy holidays and always, always keep up the rockin'. 
through the streets of Soho in the rain. He was looking for the place called Lee Ho Fuchs. Gonna get a big dish of beef chow mein. Diggs is hosted by Christian Swain. Produced by Christian Swain and Peter Ferrioli. Sound designed by Busy Signal Studios. Engineered by Jerry Danielson, Christy O'Donnell, and Leslie Barker. Find all of our shows, notes, and social links at PantheonPodcast.com. Contact us on social at Pantheon Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. Tweet us at Pantheon Pods. All songs can be found used in this podcast for purchase or streaming wherever you get your great music. Please pick up these amazing tracks. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.